Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here, as always, to talk about stuff, and this week is a particularly busy episode, because in addition to a, a lot of big news things, in, in movies for once, we yeah. don't talk about movie news too much on here, but mm-hmm. we've got a Hobbit title change, we've got the first piece of real news ever on Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah. and it's not all that much anyway. Um, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about there, a lot of stuff to talk about with games, uh, and in addition... It's May 1st when we're recording this. This is coming yes, out yes. on May 2nd, mm-hmm. which is the day The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is coming out in theaters. Oh, shit, right, yeah, that comes out tomorrow. Which is, I guess, I don't know what we even call the summer movie season now, because Captain America 2 came out in April. Right. But yeah. either way, this is kind of the kickoff to summer movies. It's the second big superhero film of the year. We've got a lot more coming. So we thought, this is a topic we've done before on a different podcast back on the monthly 10, I think, which was years ago now. Yeah. Um, which was our, what's a, what are our favorite superhero movies? Yeah. Was, that was pre-Avengers, so. That was pre-Avengers. That was pre, actually a lot of, a couple of movies that are on my list. Yeah. So, um, is we thought it would be important and kind of fun to go back and kind of reset that baseline now a few years later, um, and on the verge of having a lot of more superhero movies coming out. So mm-hmm. we've each got a top ten list, our favorites ever. I think the criteria for me were just comic book superhero movies. Yeah. Um, so that could include something like, you know, The Dark Knight, which is not comic book-y, but is a, mm-hmm. technically a comic book superhero movie, but excludes things like The Incredibles, which I love. It's a superhero movie. Yeah, it's but not it's not com- based on a comic book. Right. That's all yeah. I mean, and that's nothing against The Incredibles. It's just, you've got to narrow it, or else yeah. you could have a lot of stuff on here. And either yeah, way... There are, there are enough superhero movies to make that list hard to make. We don't need to go yes. adding, like... Any, like, just random other vaguely superhero movie you can think of. Yeah. So that'll be the topic for this episode. Um, as you can probably expect, the rest of May is going to be talking about different movies and games, because there's a lot coming out. Fucking and they're, Godzilla, man. Yeah. Fucking, fucking Godzilla. Godzilla. I've got some news about that later. But either way, we've, there's going to be plenty of talk about from here to the end of the summer, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but first, let's do just some general stuff. Uh, site stuff, um, stuff in our lives, what's going on. Um, one announcement I want to make is I've got a new series going over on the website, jonathanlack.com. It started a couple days ago. It runs on Wednesdays. It's called, tentatively, maybe I'll change this if I come up with a better title, it's just Essay Day, and that's because I realized, putting a, a recent essay together for a class, that I've written a shit ton of essays during my time at CU Boulder, and some of them, certainly not all of them, if it's a you know reading for a class I don't care about and I type the essay out at 8 in the morning, yeah. never going to share that with anyone. However, I have a lot of essays on film, on film-related things, and I think they would be of interest to the listeners of this podcast, to the readers of my site, and in general, they're just, I think they're good writing. They're some of my favorite pieces of writing I've done, and um, I have a good 15 or 16 I'm sitting on that are totally publishable and I've always wanted to share and just never have, so that's going on all summer. That'll be running from this week to August 13th. There's going to be 16 items in the series. Some are short, some are longer, some have multiple films being talked about, some are you know, very much more direct. Um, but they're all, I think they're all going to be of interest to people. For instance, next week's entry, this first week was about Charlie Chaplin. It was written for an ethics class, but it's, it's more about the movies because I kind of ignored the boundaries of the assignment. Yeah. As I tend sure. to do. Um, so it's about Charlie Chaplin, one of my favorite filmmakers. It's about sort of the philosophy behind his movies, the themes of his movies. And it's in two forms. It's in a written form, so you can just read it. That's a longer version. The ideas are a little more fleshed out. There's also a video essay, and it's a YouTube video. It's at the top of the post. I think it's well done. I, I, I certainly enjoyed making it, and it's a different way to present some of those ideas, and definitely there's the advantage of when I'm talking about a clip, you get to just see it, mm-hmm. and that's always helpful. So that's on there. Um, next week, the essay is about... 
it's it's one I just wrote, and I it was a lot of fun to write. And one of the movies discussed within that is the movie Under the Skin by Jonathan Glazer, which I recently reviewed on the site. It's still in theaters, so I kind of moved that up in the queue because it's very relevant. So, and certainly if you've seen that movie and you want to kind of read more about it, that'll be good. Um, there's a lot coming out, and that's every Wednesday. They go up at 10 a.m. Um, they're pretty much all prepped and ready to go. So that's definitely happening from now till August 13th. That'll be taking us through the summer. There'll be other stuff going on on the website this summer. Got big plans for June uh, in particular because... Um, we'll talk about that later in the podcast. It marks the anniversary of a very special movie for me and a very special kind of moment in my life, certainly talking about and writing about film. So, yeah, definitely stuff coming out over there. But in any case, I made a video, and that's on yeah. the Internet now. And, Sean, you recently made a video. I did, just last night. And it's on the Internet now. Yes, it is. Do you want to tell us what this video is and where it comes from? Okay, sure. So, last night... The, the PS4 firmware update came out that I think we talked about on one of our podcasts with all the stuff that was going to be in that firmware update and included in it was a lot of stuff that expanded the share functionality so for those of you who may not know one of the things built into the PlayStation 4 is the share button that basically just records video clips for you or screenshots whenever you want and then it just saves it onto the hard drive but before this update came out that's kind of all it did and so you could upload it to Facebook or you could just keep it on your hard drive and let it sit there but with this update, they allow you to one to offload any of those screenshots or footage onto a USB hard drive or a USB flash drive, which is nice. And then also, they came out with this free sort of software editing suite called Share Factory, where you can take in multiple clips and sort of build out a little video of this. It's a very, it's it's a little more than like totally basic, but it's not like really advanced either, because it's you know it's also you have to control everything with a controller, so it's not like super crazy computer stuff. But you can, you know, you can, you know, split clips, add music. You can add your own custom music, but they also have a selection of, like, nine different songs, one of which is clearly, like, the only song that anyone has used in any of the videos I've seen, which is the one that's in my video, called My Generation, which is not the Who song, My Generation. And it just said it's My Generation. That's anyways, disappointing. Yeah, but there's so... But then, you know, you have transitions and all this dumb nonsense, and I was like, you know, I, I enjoy editing stuff, but I don't have an opportunity to do it a whole lot. So I was like, hey, fuck it. I've got four, exactly four clips on my hard drive. And I've got, actually, I didn't have like an hour of spare time because I really should have been working on an essay. And I was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to, instead of making something really serious and spend a lot of like intellectual effort on it, I want to make something really dumb and spend a lot of intellectual effort on it. So I took my four clips which were two videos that I made intentionally, which were glitches that happened to me in Killzone and Assassin's Creed 4, and then two other video clips, which were clips from Infamous Second Son that I don't know where they came from. They were just there on my hard drive, so I think they got saved accidentally. So I took all those clips and I put them together, and I made a great, I made a dumb thing with it. It's awesome, it's a lot of fun, it's hilarious, and it's on JonathanLack.com if you go to the, the page for this podcast. Or I'll put it. I'll throw it in the podcast archive for yeah, this week sure. too. So it'll be in a couple of places there. It'll be embedded as a YouTube video. Um, watch it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I should say, like, because I, I mean, the main reason I did it was just to see what the Share Factory the the tools were like, and then I kind of made like a whole thing out of it. But the tools are pretty extensive. Like, there are a couple of features that are there that are not there that need to be in there. I think for a lot of stuff, like particularly the big one that they don't have is. Fading in and fading out music like that. Uh, that's there's, a problem. There's maybe there's I think there would be a way to sort of like 
rig that together by like splitting clips and like altering the volume of the music in like very small individual like fractions of a second long chunks that's not a great way to try to go about that so there's like maybe a way you could kind of do it but the thing is clearly designed to be modular and have like features and stuff added in like they have a whole section of stuff of like transitions and visual effects that you can add on that some of them are like video game specific where they they have like a bunch of generic playstation 4 ones Right now they have Playroom ones and they have Infamous Second Son ones. So obviously they're intending to add in more of those kinds of things as, as, the, the, as games come out and the tools develop. And it's actually kind of one of the coolest things about it is that all those transitions and stuff are like official logos. It, like as you saw the video, Jonathan, mm-hmm. it looks like you can totally make something that looks like an official trailer for Infamous Second Son just yeah. using that software suite. Until you got crazy and started putting well, negative yeah. filters on stuff. I, I looked at this and I said, this could be, no joke, a PS4 ad. Yeah. Because that's how they've cut a lot of their PS4 ads. It's just, you know, yeah, yeah. Delson running around blasting people and music playing. Yeah, and it's like you don't need to have that stuff in there. Like, you can you can take it out and it's fine. But but I think it's way better to have that stuff in there. And, and I, when I was thinking about the Share Factory, I should say that... I think while there are a few features missing, I think what is there is is what needs to be there for the two kinds of videos that that thing is made to make. There's one kind of video which is like gameplay commentary, where it's like you can add your own commentary and that stuff, which is like that's very basic. You can, yeah, yeah, oh, that's you, great. So you can you can use like a PlayStation camera mic or a mic that you plug into the controller, so you can do that. You can add in if you have your PlayStation camera, you could add in like face footage in the corner if you want to for whatever reason. People yeah. do that on the internet. So it's like, that's one, that's the one kind of video that you can make with it, and the other kind of video is dumb montages. And then I guess maybe there's a third kind of video, which is what I made, which is a satire of dumb montages. Yes. Yeah, but like, the tools are there, because you have crazy effects and dumb, really stupid transitions and words that you can put on the screen nonsense. So if you want to make your stupid, like, like really serious, like, oh, I'm going to put in... Like, I want to say Linkin Park, but I think it's too old for it to be Linkin Park. But in my head, it's like, I'm going to put in a Linkin Park song and make my sick Halo 2 multiplayer headshot fucking montage. Which is what I, like, they did back in my day, but, you know. Yes. Well, anyway, I think that sounds cool. One thing I definitely want to do at some point is, I bought Octodad. Right, yeah. You need to do a video of us playing co-op. Sure, yeah, I have not I have not purchased that game yet. Yes. So I, I, I purchased it, played it for about an hour, laughed very raucously at it, and have not felt the need to go back to it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe that hour is, is what, it, what it really represented. Maybe it doesn't need more than that. But I, it's you got a whole campaign. You could make a pretty sick fucking montage out of Octodad. I think you could. It's especially when you're just like if you honestly if you recorded your honest reaction while playing it for the first time and realizing yeah. that the controls are fucking intentionally terrible yeah. and trying to figure out how to make him move and just the laughter that just comes out of you as you're playing it, it's it would be fun. I should say I, I'm pretty sure you can record like live commentary like while you're playing as well and use okay. that in the, the share factory so I think you well that sounds that neat to. definitely looking at your video it was more advanced from an editing standpoint than I expected out yeah. of this and like I, I very although I, I did very intentionally like make it as complex as yeah, I, I possibly could where it's like most of the videos online do not have like the kind of editing that I did but yeah and I wonder if and I haven't played with it yet because I just have not had uh, time and I've been <clears throat> been away from my PS4 for a little while mm-hmm. uh, I do wonder if <clears throat> As someone who edits video a little more frequently with, uh, with you know, better programs, if it would, the limitations would annoy me more. But it still sounds cool because I think the coolest thing I've seen about it is just that it has a timeline. It has those transitions. Yeah. It's honestly, it looks a little more 
friendly than a lot of the consumer video software. That is app. one of the things that's really nice about it is that it's extremely accessible. Like yeah. it's because because it is limited in what it can do, it's a lot more approachable in terms of like, okay, I hit this button and it's like eight different things pop up, but it's like that's it. Like if you have like real like you know Final Cut Pro. It's like you click on a little tab, and it's like, oh god, <laughs> this! There are infinite things that I can do to this video, like, yes. and so it's like, as a newcomer, you have no idea where to go to get what you're looking for. And since this is only the basics, if you're very intimidated by editing software, I think this is a very good sort of like first introduction to it because it is the basics of editing. It just doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but it does have enough bells and whistles that you can do really stupid stuff with it. Yeah. You get creative. And hey, you know, we're only a couple out months out from the PS4 launch, and this is yeah. their first iteration of it, and it seems pretty cool. And, and yeah. they've added a lot of neat stuff, like mm-hmm. just being able to, you know, you've got this video on your laptop, which it, uh, yeah. which says to me that you put it on a flash drive and yes, brought it yes, over. So, yeah. lot, and it's in 720p, too. So. That's great. So a lot more powerful tools for sharing now, you know. Um, all of the 1.7 updates are there in the patch notes if you want to go look at them. Yeah. And, and, and I... I've played with a couple of them. I dimmed the bar, the light bar on my controller immediately. That's basically yeah, what I've done so far. The thing everybody did the, the yeah. minute they downloaded that patch. Yeah. I still, it doesn't fix my overall problem with the light bar, which is that when I'm watching movies, if I don't have it in the right position, it glares off the TV. And uh, basically yeah, my... It, it, it dims it enough that I don't really notice it. Like, it definitely still happens, but for me, okay. like, I don't notice it at all anymore. It still it does. But, and see, my, the thing I want more than a light bar change is I just want them to bring out a media remote for it and either that's sure. they put out a new one that I can buy or they patch in uh, support for the PS3 media remote um, that would be much more convenient just because I use my PS4 for movies and stuff an awful lot um, which is fine so and I'm sure they'll get that out eventually yeah the uh, the Xbox One has a media remote out now well I mean yeah that's like the Xbox One's thing right because it's all media I guess so nonsense. but I've all I've, it's weird I've also as much as 360 has and one have always emphasized their media more than PS4 and PS3 um, I always associated the PS3 as being more media friendly because it's remote was much more advanced and like everyone had it whereas the 360 remote was this kind of weird universal remote that at first I think was only available with that HD DVD player they put out yeah I remember that um, I don't think a lot of people had that so it was just kind of funny but anyway Yes, media remotes are good. But speaking of Xbox, right? I have Xbox. a story to tell. Stories. I've been playing. I've been playing Titanfall. Titanfall. So, last week, in the midst of, uh, here's what happened. So last okay. weekend, week from basically when we're recording this, it was Friday night. I had been, uh, I had cleared my weekend to do this big final paper that I needed to do for a class, and this is a graduate seminar. The paper needed to be like you know. 15 to 20 pages, so it was a big thing, yeah. but I actually finished it Friday Friday night, or technically like Saturday morning at 2, but I was like, well shit, I have a free weekend now, because, and like I could start studying for my final next week earlier, but I'm not going to do that, I'm going to yeah, take, yes, yeah, yeah, so what I did is I, I kind of was thinking, well, can I get Titanfall, I really wanted to get Titanfall, um, and it was on sale on Amazon, but I missed the sale and didn't get it, and I felt kind of bad about that. But there's still this, there's a lot of financial considerations, in part that I don't subscribe to Xbox Live anymore. Yeah. So buying Titanfall is potentially a $120 purchase. Mm-hmm. But this was solved by, around the same time, I had a real, like, just sudden craving to play Halo. Like, I needed to play Halo online. It just, I got that feeling. It's like, I've got to play some SWAT. Sure. And shoot some other fuckers in the head with the DMR. So I brought out Halo Reach, and I'm like, well, I don't have gold. Maybe I can... I'm going to go on. I'm going to buy a month of Xbox Live. $7.99. That'll be easy, right? Go online. On the 360, they only allow you to buy a year. You cannot find oh, it right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, from yeah. the 360's interface. Yeah, you have to go yep. to the PC. So that sucks. So I went to the PC, looked around. 
They've reduced that to you can buy three months or twelve months. Yeah. You cannot buy one or six. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, fuck. I don't want to yeah, buy. Yeah, I went through this when I I bought gold when I was playing Dark Souls two because okay. that has online stuff. Yeah, so I was like, well, shit. So I'm like, well, what other options do I have? And I just I'm like, hey, you know, sometimes when I buy games, they have those free trial period yep. things, and I save those. So I open the drawer where I keep my controllers, and sitting there is a two week trial from Halo Four, and I'm like, is this still good? Jeez, oh, I didn't have, like I had a bunch of like one or two, like three day trial ones that I got like a week out of, and I was like, well, I still am playing this game, so uh, fuck it, like whatever, I'll just buy it. Yeah. Nice. So no, I I got my two weeks and I, I put it in and it still worked and and I was playing Halo and then I was like, well, now that I've got this solved, I need to get Titanfall and I got it for fairly cheap, about thirty five bucks because I had a twenty dollar off coupon at GameStop. So I got Titanfall, uh, brought it home, and I fucking love this game. I keep wanting to be cynical mm-hmm. and look at something in Titanfall and be like. That's wrong, that needs to be fixed. Or that's a flaw. Or that feels underdeveloped. I want to be able to say that. But I can't. Because the game to me, the more I play it, the more I like it. And the more I feel like things that may have irked me in the beginning. Or things that I may have noted as, this is what I'm going to complain about. They go away. Because it just, you see the you see the genius behind it. The more you play it. It's, I don't even know where to start with it. Beyond, it is a fantastic, fantastic multiplayer experience. I think we've talked about on this podcast before that... Neither of us were particularly enthusiastic about it because the idea of a multiplayer-only game yeah. seems a little weird. That's not our sort of forte mm-hmm. on that level. Um, and I felt that, and definitely, I still would say, my one complaint is that Titanfall is not a $60 game because it does not... It's, ha- you know, it's, it's half of what most modern games are, which is that it's got its multiplayer suite. It's kind of strange when you boot it up for the first time. The menu launches, it's the multiplayer menu, and you're like, why can't I be back out and go to like the campaign menu? Yeah. And that's just not there. So that's a little weird. I would not... If you can find it on sale, it's totally worth it. I don't know if I would recommend paying a full 60 bucks for it, especially because you have to have live on top of yeah. it. Um, but either way... Um, so yeah, I thought that maybe the lack of a campaign would be a problem. But I boot it up. I feel for a minute, like, this is weird that I'm right just in a multiplayer lobby. But then I, you know, press start, get started, and I'm playing. And you play one or two rounds, you're like, I get it. This could not have been a single-player game. What this game does well, and what it offers as a first-person shooter experience, I just, I don't think there would be any point in doing it any other way than the multiplayer and the way they've done it. And it's, a lot of the refinements are small based on it like in comparison to what other first person shooters are but they have this and some of them are big like the whole titan thing but i think they have this sort of long tail of of fallout because of that and overall it's just the the scale of titanfall the level of strategy involved while playing it the level of of tension i get while playing it the level of investment i have i don't think i've ever felt that in a first person player suite outside of maybe um, the heyday of Halo 3 or Halo Reach. And even then, I, I don't know about that. It's it's really refined, and it's really fun, and it's just, the, the, it, everything about it feels so new to me. Like, the, just the scale and the way you play it. Like, one of the other things that worried me about it is that I've never been all that enthusiastic about Call of Duty multiplayer, mm-hmm. and this is by the Call of Duty guys. Yeah. And these are also by the Call of Duty guys who made the Modern Warfare multiplayer suite, which was genius. Yeah. And then ruined it with Modern Warfare 2. Which is not so genius. Sure. So I was a little worried about all that. Because I'm not a fan of Call of Duty. Like, I think Call of Duty for me is a little almost too fast-paced. You run out, you die. You run out, you die. You run out, you die. Even if... 
even if you get to a round where you're feeling like you're kind of good at it, that's kind of, it's really fast like that. And Titanfall, I think, it's aesthetically similar to Call of Duty, um, although it's a, it's a much, much prettier game than Call of Duty has ever been to me. It's not just gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and in any case, so yeah, what was I saying? Um, yeah, it doesn't feel like Call of Duty on a fundamental just gameplay level because it's not that fast-paced. There's always a lot going on. But I actually feel like you die... Fairly rarely. Like, that's a big thing when that happens in Titanfall. You don't just run out and die, try again, run out and die. Um, my general is, like, you know, five or less deaths per round. And these are long rounds. And that's just because there's multiple things to do. Like, in one life, you might be in a Titan, out of a Titan, back in. If you're playing it right, because it's only 6v6, and then they populate the world with some AI characters, yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot more to it, even in just Slayer, than just going out and killing people. Um, so any any match you play here, it feels like there's a lot more to it than what the traditional sort of FPS multiplayer structure is. Um, and I really love it. And I could go into detail on some of the individual game modes. Like, you know, Attrition is, is Slayer, but it's it's so much more fun than any just straight Slayer or uh, go out and kill game. I don't yeah, know. Everyone, team Deathmatch. Team Deathmatch, yeah. yeah. It's, it's so much more fun than any of those have ever been to me. They've got a version of Domination. What's it called here? It's called Hardpoint. It's like Territories, Domination. Yeah. It's phenomenal, best version of that kind of game type I've ever played, and Capture the Flag. I the the one I've played a couple of rounds of Capture the Flag. They are very long, and the first round of Capture the Flag I played floored me. Like I felt like I finished, and I just realized I was just like way back in my seat. Like oh holy fuck, that was the best, no question, no contest, best round of Capture the Flag I've ever played. I just feel like everything Titanfall has to offer the the Titan system, some of the different loadout structures they have. Um, the specific the parkour stuff you have The way the maps are laid out The way rounds progress All of it makes for such an immersive experience Such a fun experience It's a phenomenal game And on the Xbox 360 it runs just fine There's no problems I, Yeah, I think like I remember reading Digital Foundry reports as Saying it's a little bit above 30 frames per second It's kind of like Infosecond Sun And then the is. frame rate's unlocked It is so unlocked it's, yeah, it's definitely not running at 60 frames But it's also not like crazy like it's only like running at 22 frames per second or something like that the frame rate isn't a problem except there's a lot of screen tearing oh yeah, yeah uh, so. that's something they could fix down the line we'll see I think if they locked the frame no, rate like no? they'd, okay. because they would have to put in V-Sync which would kill the frame rate so. oh okay Never mind, and it's not a huge problem, you just notice it every once in a while. But that's the only technical problem I could see. I mean, graphically, it looks like a 360 game to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually looks, the look of it, the way the textures look, reminds me an awful lot of Halo 2. Um, where those, t- If you remember, the textures in Halo 2 almost looked hand-drawn in a weird way, because they were sure. very kind of tech... Weird. They're just, the texture was different. And, it's, like, and that's, it's not to say it's that low resolution, Halo yeah. 2 era, it just it kind of reminds me of that. But no, graphically it's great. There's, it kind of reminds me of how um, Mass Effect 3 was a graphical downgrade from 1 and 2 in some sense because things had a little less fidelity to them, but that was so they could put more assets on screen. Yeah. Titanfall's the same way. I mean, you're never... There's some texture pop-in, but there's never... The draw distance is perfect. Um, every time your Titan is falling, you can look up and see it from the moment it, it enters to, to all the way down. There's no slowdown with that. As much stuff is going on on screen, the frame rate never just dies or anything. So it runs really well, and I will say, from a multiplayer matchmaking standpoint easily by far no question the smoothest I've ever seen it's hmm. you are never waiting it's you go when you start it kicks you into a match or it kicks you into a lobby that's about to start and when you finish a match your lobby it starts it's counting down from 90 seconds and I think I've had once where I had to restart that process and that's because most people dropped out but other yeah. than that it's every 90 seconds you're playing and even if in a campaign where it's much more complex because they have to match you up with other people who are at your point in the campaign yeah. they're doing it and it's great um, obviously the one complaint I think people have had with Titanfall is that the campaign is ridiculous and stupid yeah. and it is 
if you want to take it seriously. I think, however, one of the things I noticed about Titanfall right away, and I did not start playing campaign. I just went yeah. into classic because I'm like, I don't give a fuck. And I was like, I'm going to play some attrition, I'm going to play some uh, hard point, all of that, and I had fun. And then I decided to do campaign, played most of the campaign in one sitting. It's nine levels, so it's about, it's nine matches, basically. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I noticed before I got into campaign even is that the way your HUD is laid out and the way like your robot friend will talk to you and he'll pop up in the upper right hand screen and the way the sound is laid out it feels and the way way it positions you in your Titan in particular it really feels like this is one of those like really immersive arcade games or a ride at Disneyland or Universal Studios. Yeah, it's sure. got that feeling and I love that feeling. Like those ride like like Star Tours at Disneyland or the Men in Black ride at Universal Studios or the Back to the Future ride or some of those like Star Trek and other shooter games you would play in arcades where you would sit yeah, in the arcade get to the little like weird like yeah. cockpit thingy. Yeah. And and the goal of all of those if you've been to any of those played any of those is that it's like you are in the eyes of that HUD. Sometimes the seat will move and rotate and yeah. stuff. And it'll have people talk to you from over here, and they'll have in like Star Tours at Disneyland. They even have a, like a live robot animatronic there talking to you. That's what Titanfall is. That's what it feels like. And you also know if you've ever played any of those that another trait of that arcade kind of tradition is that there's some story going on while you're playing, and it's completely nonsensical. And they keep talking, yeah, and you never... like you are never a part of the yeah. story. It's like there are people who are having a conversation and you're listening to it while you're killing people. Yes, and that's the campaign of Titanfall sure. and it gets that atmosphere so right that I had a blast with the campaign even though I cannot tell you a single thing that happened in the story. I don't know. I don't care. It's not intrusive, but it is fun because you have this talking over where you've got these two guys. I think they're enemies like the leader of your squad and the leader of the other squad and you know they're bickering over matches and stuff and they'll be like popping up in you know, windows in your yeah. screen and stuff. And it's it's just, it's so immersive on that level and such goofy fun. Like, I don't, I think the other thing to, with the campaign is that I, it doesn't seem like it was made to be taken seriously. Like, this is a serious mythology campaign. That's not it. It's just, it's a way to play, be introduced to some of the different campaign match styles and stuff, or the, the, the multiplayer match styles, mm. and have this kind of silly story on top of it. And it's goofy and it's fun. And it also, if you play through the campaign, one thing I'll say, playing mo most, I've played, the first level on its own, and then I came back and did two through nine in one sitting. And that two through nine in one sitting was probably the most fun I had had with Titanfall in one concentrated burst because the way each uh, campaign level just builds in intensity and scale and the sheer amount of shit going on, um, it's really fun. And you feel by the end like, you know, you've done a ton and it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and it's really epic. And like, you're done and you've got to go do something else and just take a breath. Um, so yeah, I, I really... Again, like I said, kept trying to pinpoint things that I maybe had a problem with. Like, at first I was like, this 6v6 thing, it feels a little underpopulated in mm -hmm. certain map maps. But the more I play it, the more I kind of see the brilliance to it. Because it reduces the element of, I'm just here to find other people and shoot them. There's more to it all the time because it's a little more concentrated. Um, and there's just a lot of things like that. Where little things where I thought, maybe this was a flaw. Like, another thing is that none of the guns are very distinctive to me. Like, it's not like a new Halo game where I boot up and I, I'm looking at all the guns it's like this is fascinating even the ones that are kind of stupid like they've yeah. all got a character and whatnot. Uh -huh. that's not the guns in Titanfall at all but that's because they I don't think they want you to be focusing on that element as much like there is a leveling system there is you, you unlock stuff for your guns but it's not so much that I have to level to level 50 and prestige and get everything on my rifle so that I can play the best way I can mm -hmm. it, that's really not the emphasis it's there if you want to customize your gameplay style which is really fun Every in between every match I'm customizing things just to 
just tweak things from my experience playing the game being like you know what I could have done better here maybe I can add this to help me out there so just, there's a lot going on and it's very content rich and I'm really loving it and I'll probably have to buy some additional Xbox Live on top of this although I've got another free trial in Titanfall so <laughs> we'll nice. see yeah, just keep those just break out that massive pile of cards from the inside of boxes and it's like well here we go <laughs> yep I never knew this day would come I know but anyway yeah I am enjoying Titanfall it's been kind of interesting to go back to my 360 and, and get reacquainted with the 360 controller which I had kind of forgotten how to hold like I was I didn't quite know what to do with my middle fingers and I still that's one of the things I don't like about the controllers I never quite know what to do with my middle fingers on it where I'm holding it well I have but, an answer you see you put your index fingers on the bumper and your middle fingers on the trigger because why would you not have a finger on both of those buttons it is entirely possible to you crazy people okay well anyway um, I, I, I did try that for like half a match in Titanfall and I was so terrible I could not I just, I kept... Baby steps, baby. You just gotta get used to it. Let me tell you two Titanfall stories really quick. Okay, sure. To to illustrate what this game is like. So, I mean, and there's a lot of moments where just the general story is always... Just when things open up around the middle of the match, and like half of the people have a Titan, and half of the people are still pilots, it's crazy. Because you have all these moments where you're running out there, and, you know, you're a pilot fighting a Titan, and that's awesome. Or you're a Titan fighting a Titan, and my favorite thing to do is melee punch other Titans. It's like Pacific Rim. It's giant robots fighting. It's awesome. Um, And definitely when you're on the ground, it's... There's a couple moments in the Michael Bay Transformers movies from an action standpoint that are interesting for how it shows how the humans fight the robots. They're very minor and scattered. But, like, there's one I remember in the first Transformers movie where the soldier guy... He's yeah. always there, like he's trying to kill one of the transformers, and he like shoots himself under and it and slides like slides. And shoots, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool moment. A and there's a lot of moments that feel like that in Titanfall, where you're just kind of using your own kind of wits and physical skills to overpower these titans, but you have to be really kind of sneaky about it, mm-hmm. and that's really fun. So that's kind like of the general thing. But one story that happened to me that was just amazing, and like it was the moment that I knew I just loved this game was. Um, what would happen? Let me see if I can... I had notes on it. But I know how it started was that I, I got my Titan, you know, it came down, Titan, prepare for Titanfall, and it yeah. came down, and I got in it, and I was just sort of... Um, I moved out for a second, and then I was immediately ambushed by, like, five other Titans. Like, the entire other team had Titans. They got on me. If you're in that situation, you're fucked. So my health got low immediately. I bailed and ran away. And usually when that happens, your Titan dies. Like, I just know it's going to die. They're going to kill it. But I bailed, ran away, and I was off doing some other stuff. Um, And later in the round, I'm fighting this other Titan. I'm helping a teammate who's in his Titan. And I've got my anti-Titan weapon, and I'm fighting, and the other guy's fighting it. And what's good, those moments are great, because if your teammate is in a Titan and the opponent is in a Titan, you can help your teammate by being on the ground, and he'll be distracting the Titan, and you can deal the heavy damage. Mm -hmm. That's really good. But then he died. He explodes. The other Titan is still alive, and he turns on me. And I'm firing, but I know I'm going to die. And right at the moment I'm going to die, another Titan comes in and just punches the other Titan out. And we kill him together. And I'm like, that was awesome. And then it says, press X to embark. And I'm like, that was my Titan! My Titan, Auto Titan, came over to me and saved my life and beat this other Titan to death. And then I got back in it and started fighting again. Nice. And he still had, like, just a a modicum of health. Mm -hmm. And it it was awesome. So there's stuff like that. The opposite of that was I've played one... I've played 50 seconds of one round of a game type called Last Titan Standing. And right, I haven't yeah. gotten back into Last Last Titan Standing because something very embarrassing happens when I tried to play it. If you don't know, Last Titan Standing is everybody's in a Titan 
and you just fight to the death, and if your Titan explodes, you're you're out. You don't get to be a pilot on the ground. Yeah, well, no, no, you can. Oh. In, in Lifetime Standing, how you... I haven't even fucking played the game, and I know how this mode works, and you don't. How Lifetime Standing why. works is that you would, like, everyone spawns in their Titans, and the win condition is to destroy the enemy team's Titans. Okay. So the pilots can still survive. So okay. if you... Because I, I remember, because I watched a stream of people playing the game... And one of the first tactic they came up with because the, the person playing didn't like playing in the Titans; they just like being a pilot. So they're like, "I'm just going to eject, and I'm just going to put my Titan and hide him in like this corner and put him into standby mode, and I'm just going to go fuck up other Titans." And they never found the Titan. That's how they won the match. So that's how last time standing works. Game, okay, I haven't even fucking played the game. Here's why I don't know because sure. it started. I dashed to the right, fell off the map, and died. <laughs> <laughs> I turned off because my... Because again, like it's a one... It's like you have one life per round kind of mode. So you spawned, immediately killed yourself, and if you had not just turned off your Xbox or whatever, you would have had to sit there for like five minutes watching the other people actually play the fucking yeah, match. I felt so embarrassed, I just ran off and I'm like, ah, and I just turned my Xbox off. I've th- I mean, I've, I've had that in games before. It's like, I was the stupidest thing I've ever done. I'm just going to delete this game. I'm going to just pretend this... I'm going to break this disc and pretend this never happened. Anyway, Titanfall, definite recommendation. One of my favorite games this year. And I've, I, man, I've loved every uh, new game I've played this year, I think. There's been a lot of good ones so far. So, yeah. If you're talking about games, I just want to mention really quickly that I've been playing uh, Hearthstone over the, the, over the past week or so. Which, for those who don't know, Hearthstone is basically a kind of like Magic the Gathering style collectible card game. But it's entirely a video game and it's free to play. It's one of like the only free-to-play games that I've tried for, like, an hour and then actually kept on playing, like, every other free-to-play game I've tried. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool. And I'm like, yeah, no, this actually, like, this either, like, is a bad game or it's a decent game, but it's trying to wring so much money out of me I can't even try to enjoy it. Instead, Hearthstone is, and it's it's free-to-play. You can get it on the iPad version just very recently came out. I don't have an iPad, but I imagine it must be great because it, this would be such a great game to play with a tablet surface. But you can also download it for free on Macs and PCs. And they've said, like, Android devices will get it pretty soon. So you can get it for free basically anywhere. And since it's just a collectible card game, the only money hooks are what an actual collectible card game would have, which is buying booster packs. But you can just unlock booster packs by doing daily challenges and just winning matches. So I have not paid any... I've been playing it for, like, oh, two weeks now. I've not paid a single penny, and I'm still having a ton of fun with it. So I just wanted to say that that's, like... If, if you're someone who's never really played one of these kinds of games before, I think this is a it's a much more simplified version of them. Although matches are only like five to eight minutes long, so I think it's a if you're someone who's kind of intimidated by that kind of game, I think this is a really good sort of like jumping on point. And that's what I wanted to ask because yeah. I've never played like Magic the Gathering, but I've wanted to play Hearthstone. I've just been intimidated. Yeah, yeah no, like I would definitely say like just jump in. It's got a pretty good to, like basic tutorial. Like it, it's good because the tutorial teaches you the basics of like this is what a taunt card does, like, this is what mana is, like, these are the basic mechanics of the game, but it doesn't try to, like, pressure you into having to learn the the metagame, because I've, I've played not a huge amount of Magic the Gathering, but enough of Magic the Gathering and, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon cards that I know what I'm doing when I get into a game like this, so it's like, I can kind of, I already understand, like, kind of where to look for, like, metagame elements of, like, these are what, like, the really important cards are going to be, this is how to build the deck. The game doesn't try to, like, push all that stuff onto you, and you basically you play the game, you go through the tutorial, you unlock a basic deck that's not an amazing deck, but it's totally serviceable. Like, you can win public matches with it just fine, like I have. And then you can unlock 
because it's kind of set up where you have different hero characters that have specific abilities and then they also have there's like a pool of common cards that all heroes can use and then like sets of specific cards that only specific like the mage can only use these spell cards it's like the hunter has like these beast cards or whatever and so you can un- you unlock these other hero characters and they have all their own basic decks so that the hero setup is really good because it each hero has like a one primary strategy that like is very easy to grasp so if you're sort of like into like playing a lot of monster cards you might want to like grab the hunter because like oh he plays like a bunch of different beast cards and stuff and that's like what his powers are focused on so there's a bunch of very basic strategies that you can gravitate towards really easily i think it's very like noob friendly basically and again you don't have to pay like any money because because since the basic decks are good enough you i don't like i've run into a couple of matches where i've played against a guy that's like well fuck this guy just played some crazy fucking super powerful card that I've never seen before. Some, like, magic dragon bullshit. And that's how I lost. But most of the matches, it's been like, okay, like, he has a couple of cards that I've never seen before that, like, it would have been nice if I had them. But I can get them by just playing the game. And I can still win. I win probably, like, 60% of the matches I play. So, yeah, I would say, it's since there's no barrier to entry whatsoever, and the matches, again, are super quick, which is one of my favorite things about it, I would say, like, I would recommend everyone just, like, give it a shot, you know, just at least play through the tutorial, because I think, I haven't played a game like this in a really long time, and partially because if you're trying to play, like, the physical version of these games, it's such a fucking hassle, because it's like, you have to get together with people, and then it's also, you just get into a run of, like, I know three other people who play this game, so it's like, those are the only people I can play, and so it's like, I only ever run into their decks, I only have, so it's like, all our decks are you know, designed to play against each other and there's no sort of random strategy. Whereas if you're just, like, playing random public matches on the internet, it's like, I'm constantly running into stuff where it's like, holy fuck, I never thought to use that card that way. Like, this is a really awesome strategy. And, you know, most games... Like, what this is one thing that's just really nice about it being a digital game is that it handles all the math stuff for you so you don't have to sit there with, like, a little piece of paper and be like, okay, so I put this on this guy so he has plus two attack and his ability gives this guy plus two attack. But if this guy gets... Like, if like if guy cards on the field get attack boost, then this card gets health boost, and then this... I'm gonna play this guy and he gives me health. It's like, that stuff is so hard to keep fucking track of. And But this is just, like, it keeps track of all that for you. Like, all that... So that's all hands-off. So you just get to sit there and then just, like, do basic subtraction in your head and be like, and if this dude doesn't do anything in one turn, I can take out all his hit points and then I win. And that's the best feeling in the world when you're there and it's like, this is... A, I have a fucking mathematical certainty within one turn I can beat you. That kind of stuff. That's great. So, I, I will definitely play this game now. I was a big uh, Yu-Gi-Oh fan in my youth. Right, yeah. But I got into that rut where it was just my brother and I at a certain yeah, point. Yeah, so it's and... like, you're just like, it's like, I know every card you have in your deck. Like, this is fucking pointless. It's some, like, we know everything about each other's decks, so there's no mystery element. Whereas if this, it's constantly like, because especially it's just, I, know, I only know, like, maybe half the cards in the game. And I should say that they're actually, if, if you want to get into Hearthstone... I would say now would be the time to try it because they are going to release like an expansion pack over the summer and my experience with these kinds of games are that that the longer the game goes on for and the more cards they add into it it's so much harder to get in whereas right now it is a totally manageable amount of cards to sort of like be able to keep in the back of your head of like I know basically if I'm playing a hunter these are the kinds of cards he can have so like I can account for that whereas you know if you tried to like get into Magic the Gathering today there are like 
there's probably like a million fucking different cards in that game that you would just never it would take you years to be able to know enough just know what the cards are to be able to like when they are played know what to do because every time you play one of these games and someone plays a card that you've never seen before it kind of like flummoxes you because you can't account for it so right yeah, All right, it's, so super, any, it's super fun. So any other stuff to talk about? I don't think so. All right, let's move on to the news. Okay, so Sean, with the news today, I want to kind of go in thematic order more than kind of chronological order. Because sure. we've got, got some big stories, we've got some small stories. They're all kind of interesting. So let's go with movies first. All right. Um, big sort of news in movies uh, this past week was that they finally announced the main cast for Star Wars Episode Seven. Now, if you've been following Star Wars Episode Seven, as we kind of have been on the podcast, you'll know that there's been nothing to follow. Yeah. Because we knew J.J. Abrams was making it. Mm-hmm. That was it. And then there were well, a bunch we of... Well, <laughs> we basically knew that Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, okay. and Mark Hamill were going to be in it. Although, even then, it had not been officially confirmed. Yeah. So there was a lot of rumor... But it was basically confirmed. Yes. A lot of rumor, a lot of speculation, a lot of actors were named that are not in the cast. Um, so a lot of things like that. And uh, we just weren't sure. And then finally they had a table read this week and are starting shooting. So they really couldn't hide it anymore. So uh, they officially announced on the Star Wars website. Um, I'll just read the press release because it's short. Sure. The Star Wars team is thrilled to announce the cast of Star Wars Episode Seven. Actors John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis, Domin Hall Gleason, and Max von Sydow will join the original stars of the saga, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Fisher Mark Hamill, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, and Kenny Baker in the new film. All right. That's not the whole thing, but that's the names. Yeah. Um, and my reaction was, and I said this on Twitter at the time, and it's, it's still my reaction, that's a stupendous cast of actors, a lot of names I really like, a couple names I don't know, which is exciting because I don't, wouldn't want it to be a Star Wars movie if every single person was, was known. Um, and that's honestly the first thing I've been excited about with Star Wars Episode Seven is that is such a good cast of actors to me, and it's so many up and coming actors I really like. We've got some of uh, the returning faces we expected were returning, but that's still cool. Yeah. And some veteran actors like Max von Sydow. Um, it confirms at least that J.J. Abrams, uh, as always, casts his movies impeccably, and I am excited to see that. And because this is the first real piece of information we've had on the movie, this is honestly for me the first chance to feel any excitement about it at all. Yeah. And we don't know anything beyond that, what characters they're playing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. There's been some heavy speculation that uh, from people who know a little bit about the movie that Daisy Ridley is playing um, Han and Leia's daughter. Which yeah, would make sense. Sure. She's the right age, but we will see. I mean, it's nice to know that there's at least going to be one new female character. Okay. I, I thought that was funny when they announced that press release that it was like, at first I didn't even, re- like, at first when I just glanced over it, I thought it was all guys. Okay, like, here's something I want to talk bullshit. about, though. That's something a lot of people got angry about. This is just the main cast. This is yeah. the people they've cast so far. There are more announcements to come. When people were asked about this involved with the movie, um... That they are, there are more women they're casting. So it's you know I've saw, I saw some people getting really like righteously indignant about this. There's no reason to yet unless the movie comes out and it's yeah. a problem that they've got one female character and she's underwritten or something. But because, it is it has been kind of annoying in the Star Wars films that it's like because the Star Wars expanded universe is so rich of like really really strong female characters that it's always really frustrating in the movies. It's like eh, there's like one woman who has a voice role in yeah. like all of them. Well, and here's one thing I am excited about, and I think it's a good thing to get J.J. Abrams on board for this, is that if you take Star Trek out of the equation, um, (laughs) he's done a very good job over his career um, writing for female characters and featuring female characters and directing uh, female actresses, in many cases who have not been given as good of roles or been directed as well in other other, um, venues. I think probably still a high high point of Jennifer Garner's career as Alias, and, and I don't think she's 
probably been used as well in most other contexts. So, you know, um, I hope that even if Daisy Ridley is our only major, you know, female character in this, I suspect she will at least be more interesting than Natalie Portman in the originals. And, of course, that was no fault of Natalie Portman. We know she's a fantastic actress. You would not know that if you watched... (laughs) um, George yeah. Lucas directed and Star hopefully, Wars movies. hopefully there isn't a scene where she randomly just takes yes. her shirt off like in Star Trek Into Darkness. That's that's why I take Star Trek out of the equation, <laughs> because while I like the Uhura character, the scene in Star Trek Into Darkness is so egregious, it erases all... It's so just like, yeah. why... what? Yeah. And it's, it's weird, because it's so out of character for J.J. Abrams, because I've seen, yeah. you know, I guess on Alias, you know, you'd get Jennifer Garner in sexy clothes sometimes, but she also had a character, and there was context for sure. it, like... It's not the best context, but she's a spy. She has to do something. It's better than just, hi, Chris Pine. I'm going to disrobe for you. Yeah. You know, it's like that's what it was in Star Trek. So, oh, well, um, I, I don't imagine Star Wars will have that unless. And I also hope they don't try to immediately go to the well of we have to get the female actress in a state of partial undress. Because yeah. that's what Carrie Fisher did. And that's what Natalie Portman did. Sure. Yeah. In the second movie. Or I guess for Carrie Fisher was the third. The third, yeah. yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yep, Star Wars. But no other, nothing else to talk about with this, right? Uh, yeah, like I've always, yeah. I never find casting news. Unless, yeah. like, it was something just really crazy, like, Clint Eastwood's in it. I would be like, what? Like, that's, like, something that's, like, or if they're like, hey, Will Smith's going to be in Star Wars. I'm like, that's sure. I will say, I think Max von Sydow being in Star Wars, yeah, that's, that's near exciting. that That's near that level for me. He's, like, I have one of, I imagine he's going to be, like, some sort of, like, imperial, like, remnant captain guy. Yeah. You know? Like, Grand Moff Tarkin style. I was talking with a friend I have in, in the film department who's a huge Star Wars buff. And we were just saying all the different kinds of Star Wars archetypes Max von Sydow yeah. could effectively play from Sith to, you know, old Yeah, like, I, he, there's, he there's, could be a Sith, but I want him to be, like, like Peter Cushing, Grand yes. Moff Tarkin. That's probably... That, what he, that's, that's what I see him as. That's probably my preference, too, yeah. but he's Max von Sydow. Whatever he does, he'll be awesome. Um... And you've got Andy Serkis in there, which is cool. He'll yeah. probably be playing Jar Jar. <laughs> Some people made that joke, and I'm like, yep, because that's what you get Andy Serkis for, to yeah. play a character everyone hates. No. I, I think there's a lot of exciting names there. I'm particularly happy to see um, Oscar Isaac and Adam Driver in there. Those are Oscar Isaac was in Inside Lewin Davis last year, one of the best performances of that year. And Adam Driver uh, is one of the stars of HBO's Girls, and he's fantastic on that. And they are, they are both interesting, and, and I can see all these actors being in this universe, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you were to put someone like a Will Smith in here, I don't think it Will Smith fits be, with Star Wars. It would be Wars, really so. weird. Yeah. yeah. He's um, playing Lando Calrissian's son. <laughs> okay, I want that. I want that now. <laughs> see, you just, just come to, I can find a role for Will Smith in any movie. Lord of the Rings. Okay, that one's actually kind of hard. I'll have to think about it. Come okay. back to me on that one. All right. I'll, I'll get one. Maybe on our superhero list, we can do that for every movie we talk about. <laughs> Where does Will Smith fit in this? Okay. Spoiler, Hancock is on neither of our lists. Yeah. Also, Hancock's not based on the comic books. So. True. But so it's already I, disqualified. It, any, I've never even seen it. Anytime I can diss that movie because it's fucking awful, I, I need to. Because it's, as I said, fucking awful. Now, other Star Wars news. Right, Sean, Star Wars. Lucasfilm officially announced, and this is something we kind of expected, but it's it's official now. The Star Wars Extended Universe has been decanonized. The canon now extends only to the films and to the TV series that are officially licensed by Lucasfilm. Yeah, because there's that new, what, Star Wars Rebels mm-hmm. series. I think that takes place in between three and four, so that wouldn't be yes. relevant anyways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if they're making movies after six... There's no room to do that unless you're adapting expanded universe stuff, and there's no way in hell they were ever going to do that 
So they have to kind of clear the way for the canon, which is disappointing for me because there's a lot of those stories that I do really love, and it's like that kind of sucks. But like, hopefully, at least they take the ideas from it. You know, like if if she's playing Jaina. There you go. Like, that's... At least Jaina Solo is a expanded universe character that I really like. If so. they use her name, that'd yeah. be cool, yeah. Well, and, and they're not... They're also saying they're not putting this stuff out of print. They're not getting rid of it. They're going to publish future EU and existing under the uh, a banner called Legends. Yeah. Um, and, and they say the team... The Joystick article on this says the teams creating new content are still drawing inspiration from the EU. So... You know, they're not, like, burning it. It's not like George Lucas with the original trilogy, like, hiding all existing prints. Sure. Um, So, anyway. Yeah, it's just, it's going to be a really complex situation going forward of, like, what is now... I mean, they kind of did that when, like, the Star Wars The Clone Wars series came out. Like, there's a lot of stuff that they, like, little tiny things that they changed. But now, like, this is, like... There are, like, 40 years worth of books and comic books and just random bullshit set after the original trilogy. And it's like, that, like, they're obviously, like they said, like, there are still people making stuff that builds off of that chronology because they've been doing that for decades. So it's like, they don't want to just, you know, there are storylines there that have not been finished and stuff like that. That obviously they're going to want to finish and not just, like, give up on it because the fucking movies are coming out because that, that would suck. So it's like, but now you're probably going to like tie in stuff to the old, to the new movies and nonsense. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. So Sean, anything else to say about Star Wars? I don't think so. Okay. Well, then let's move on. Uh, other news this week that was interesting. This had been rumored a couple weeks ago. Made official last week on the Facebook page of the film. Peter Jackson announced that right. the final Hobbit movie, uh, which was called The Hobbit There and Back Again obviously based on the alternate title for the J.R.R. Tolkien book, mm-hmm. has been retitled The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies. Sean, yes. are you righteously indignant about this? No, that seems like a massively more appropriate title for the third movie in the trilogy because, and, and actually Peter Jackson said this, they got there in the last movie, so you can't very well call it there and back again. Like, it would be really funny if they just they were like, yeah, we're just going to call it The Hobbit back again. <laughs> It just sounds like that's like the direct-to-DVD sequel to The Hobbit. It's interesting. I, I understand that logic completely, and I agree with it. Um, I still like the title of The Hobbit. I love... No, uh, don't get me wrong. I love the title there and back again. I love that title, but it needs to be used appropriately. Okay. so That's fair. And he said... One of the things I liked he said is that when we put the box set out, I want to put there and back again on it. Yeah. Which is fine. That's fun. Um, yeah, I think... The one thing is that the Battle of Five Armies does not sound as final for a trilogy capper to me. Um, but it's still fine. It's it's you know it's a little wordy. It's fine. Um, it's better than one of the other titles they were apparently considering and had trademarked, which was Into the Fire. <laughs> that sounds like the Hobbit video game subtitle. Yeah, I know. Uh, so anyway, it's the Hobbit, the Battle of Five Armies. So we know the Battle of Five Armies will be dramatized in the Hobbit series. Spoilers. Yeah. Jesus. I thought they were going to save that for a fourth film. Yes. That would be the funny version of this, is if they this they were splitting it into two more movies. Yeah. So it was the Hobbit the Battle of Five Armies and, and then, then the Hobbit there and back again. Yes. Yeah. Which is a clip show. Yeah, of all the yeah, of all the movies with like it's, a little extra footage at the very end. The whole no, the whole movie is Bilbo and Gandalf riding back and every couple minutes they stop and say, Bilbo, do you remember when we did yeah. this? And then it's like, Oh, Mr. Gandalf, do you remember when we that's fought a, that's a great Gandalf and Bilbo person. It's I terrible. Think. It's awful. Because, you know, Ian McKellen and Martin Freeman, their voices sound exactly the same. I know. Okay. So anyway, they're not splitting The Hobbit into a quadrilogy. Yeah. But it would be kind of funny if they did. That would be the 
<laughs> that would be the funniest thing in the world. Especially with, like, if I were Peter Jackson, I would be slightly motivated to do that just because of the number of people still bitching about it mm-hmm. without having seen all three movies. Yeah. And seeing if it works, it's, it's hilarious. He just keeps on making, so it's like you can never complain about it. Because if it's like, the thing's not done yet, how can you complain? You haven't seen the whole thing, so he just keeps on doing it. Yep. He just starts adap- adapting, like, one sentence from the book into a whole movie. Yes. Alright. So anyway, in any case, it is better than an unexpected journey. Yes. Yes. Alright, so let's see. What else we got here? Um, Zack Snyder. Yes. He directed Man of Steel. You among also, other films yes. uh, Among Watchmen uh, You know 300 You know him And Great. you know You forgot one there's, there's another movie He directed That you love Sucker Punch Yeah Oh I hate that, that movie That great Great work of art And it's funny Because I legitimately love Zack Snyder's other films um, But no I, I do not like Sucker Punch Anyway He also directed uh, A movie about owls That was animated But no one remembers that one what, what's, what is it Legend, called? I think it's called something like Legend of the Guardians. Oh, shit. I yeah. know what you're talking about. I've never seen it, but I no. know what you're talking about. Nobody, I didn't know you made that. Nobody saw it, Sean, yeah. because it flopped. <laughs> but anyway, it's, I think it's okay. Uh, no one held that against him because yeah, it was weird. <laughs> Given yeah. the news today. Yeah. Yes. So, as you know, Zack Snyder directed Man of Steel. He is directing that film's sequel, I think. Uh, Batman. Yeah, Batman versus Superman, which is what everyone's calling it. Who yeah. knows what it's actually going to be titled. Which is funny. We still don't know a title, but we know what the follow-up movie will be. <laughs> and that is, he is confirmed to be directing the Justice League movie, which I think the bigger news here is that they have confirmed they are following Batman versus Superman with Justice League. Um, where I would start with my thoughts on this is sure. that if they want to give Zack Snyder more to do, do here, fine by me. I really liked Man of Steel. I like his directorial style. I think it's been good for this material, and I'm interested to see what he does with things. Um, I'm excited to... Well, I'm not really excited for Batman. Here's the thing, though. So I like his style. I'm, I'm glad they're giving him more to do, but I so dislike everything I've heard about the direction they're taking the Man of Steel sequel in. Yeah. And I think it's so weird that they're making a specific Justice League movie after it, even though they're pretty much putting all of them into Batman vs. Superman. Yeah, because like, because that's just also this is often news that I forget who the actor is, but someone's playing Cyborg mm-hmm. in it too, who uh, is not traditionally like a Justice League member, but in the New Fifty Two, they made him like a yes. premium Justice League dude. So, so almost everybody is going to be there. Yeah, there's, there's no Aquaman yet, right? No word of Aquaman. I've heard rumors that they're casting him. Yeah. But anyway... So, just, so they have most of it. Yeah, so they have most of it, and not in the Justice League movie, in the Batman vs. Superman yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, all those people are confirmed to be in the Batman vs. Superman movie. And what weirds me out even more about all this is that a few days before this announcement came out, Zack Snyder gave an interview, and he just talked about Man of Steel, he talked about the sequel, and he said where the whole Batman thing came from is they were developing the story, and he said, you know what, I think we could work in a really cool Batman cameo here, it feels organic that he would be in this moment... And then they expanded off of that and thought, you know, okay, Batman would fit in our Man of Steel sequel here. That sounds good. And I don't know if that's true. I, I'm, I've that's always true, assumed... those people need to be kicked in the stomach. Okay. Because the worst idea is to, eh, let's, think, let's have a, yeah, let's have a, let's, you know, it'd be like if in, you know, uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier, yeah, let's mention Doctor Strange's name here. No, let's just make him the co-star of the movie. What?! No! Know, okay. Wait, what? No! No, 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 and no, And maybe, no. maybe I'm misrepresenting this yeah. quote. What, what he sounded like he was trying to say is just that they found an organic way where it's, it felt like Batman should be in the story, which that would sound okay to me. I, I've still always assumed what happened was Man of Steel came out, and then Warner said, you know what, you guys, I know you're planning a Man of Steel sequel, you have to make it a Batman movie. Because we want that, that Bat money. Yeah, because Man of Steel we made... that Bat money, because there's not, you know, God knows there's not enough Batman shit right now. And, and God knows, if Man of Steel made plenty. It's not like it was a yeah. low performer. It did great. So whatever. They, I, I've always assumed that was the case, so I don't know if that's true or not. But either way, 
can understand that, but then you start layering in, you know, we're going to have Wonder Woman in here. We're going to have Cyborg in here. We're going to have Nightwing in here. We're going to have everyone in here. And then we're going to make another movie called Justice League, even though we're pretty much making a Justice League movie. So in Batman vs. Superman, you're going to have Superman, you're going to have Batman and a significant quantity of his supporting cast, because you're going to have Alfred in Nightwing. Oh, yeah. And then you're going to have a significant quantity of the fucking Justice League members. Like, it... It's supposed to be a fucking Superman movie. What the fuck happened? I don't know. And it's also got Lex Luthor and yeah, and all but at of least the super- like Lex Luthor belongs in a fucking Superman. I'm just saying, there's a lot of characters. They've yeah. also got the full Superman supporting cast. Amy yeah. Adams is back. Lawrence Fishburne is back. Everyone. So it's so crowded. And then they're making a separate Justice League movie, and it does not sound like they're going to have any time whatsoever to put out a separate, you know, I don't know, Flash movie. Yeah, they've, they've, it's obvious that like them announcing the Justice League movies before they announce like component character movies this one's gonna come out like after Batman like there's not gonna be a, like oh here's Wonder Woman in Cyborg the movie is no it's probably it's gonna have to go immediately to Justice League so I'll just you know I'll say what I've said before whether you liked Man of Steel or not I'm on the side of I really loved that movie and so I'm, I'm on the side of the, I fucking hated it but either way I think we wanted to see a legitimate follow up to it yeah, no, because I still want to see a really good Superman movie. Okay, and I thought we got a really good Superman movie. I would like to see more of that. Either way, they were, they were just abandoning it. Like, okay, fuck it. Some people liked Man of Steel, some people didn't. All of them can go fuck themselves because yeah. we're getting just some... We're making now really crowded Justice League-style movies and we're not continuing with anyone's individual paths. And part of this press release with Justice League said, I mean... This is a paraphrase, but it's exactly, you know, the substance is what was said, where um, the head of Warner Brothers said, where we are announcing this so we can start to try to catch up to Marvel. It's like, I'm sorry, you are not in any way catching up to Marvel. Marvel puts out two movies a year, and most of them are critically acclaimed, and they've all been huge box office successes. You are not at that point. Yeah, and it's like, you need to... Like, that's just, you're shooting yourself in the foot by trying to catch up to them. Yes. It's you're you're skipping all the steps that they made. It's like what kind of crazy world do we live in that you're going to make a Justice League movie with no that you're going to make a Superman movie with Wonder Woman in it, then a Justice League movie with Wonder Woman in it before you make a fucking Wonder Woman movie with Wonder Woman in it. And it's like, you know, I saw some good comments about this online. It's not that Warner Brothers needs to take the Marvel model. They, yeah, don't. they don't. They need to do whatever works for them, but this is them really trying to scramble, I feel like, and you know, until the movies come out you can't make a definitive judgment. If they're good, yay, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But I just the more they announce for that Batman Superman movie and and now they've got Justice League and clearly they're just they're, they've got Zack Snyder locked in a studio. He's directing these movies and they're just going to churn them out like this. It's like I don't I don't know what the creative upside to this is because you're just making all these kind of team-up movies, but again, Avengers was not a hit because it had all those characters in it. Avengers was a hit because everybody had a connection to all those characters, yeah. and it was a sequel to all of them, and everyone liked those characters, and they all the fans of all of them came yeah. together. And then another issue with like the way they're doing this is that Zack Snyder is making all of these fucking movies, and one of the great things about the Marvel films is that people, different yes. people are making the different movies, so they all have their own different style and tone, so it would be like if Jean Favreau had directed Avengers, which would have felt weird I think yes I agree and I as much as I like Zack Snyder doing Man of Steel and I think he's talented and I understand why they're sticking with him for their current model I agree I mean it would be more interesting if they had at the same time um, some you know cool director doing a Wonder Woman movie and someone 
else announced to do Justice League and make that feel different. Basically, they're saying... How hilarious would it be if they got Christopher Nolan to make the Justice League movie? If they had somehow managed him to do that, that would be fucking hilarious. I mean, he, he would sooner shoot himself yeah, in the head, but yeah. I so, but yeah. Yeah, no, I that would be very funny. I mean, they're all still in the, have those vestiges of the Christopher Nolan style, though. We know yeah, they will. Yeah. That's um, for sure. Yeah, so it's... I just... The whole thing is kind of weird to me, and, and yes, I... It also means that, as I was saying, this it means Man of Steel is part one of just the whole cinematic universe, and it's all one series, and it's all going to have one creative voice, and that's just... It's going to be like Iron Man 2 all over again, only probably worse, you know, because Iron Man 2 just at the time felt so buckling, like, under the weight of, like, having to set up Avengers and, like, the other characters and stuff that, that the, its movie suffered... That's exactly what's going to happen to Justice League or Man of Steel 2. And it's funny because everyone's doing that. Like, that's the core complaint I've heard about Amazing yeah, Spider-Man 2. And I've not seen it yet. I'm still looking forward to it. I hope I like it. I'm not making a judgment or anything. But that's what I've heard about yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 2. The overwhelming response is that it's good. It's got good elements. But it also buckles under the weight of they're trying to spin off a whole movie universe. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair to Mark Webb and the people making that film. I wonder if, like, the movie that's going to come out after Justice League is Zack Snyder's The Legion of Doom movie. You know, if they're making a fucking Sinister Six movie, might as well make a Legion of Doom movie. <laughs> They've got other things to do first, like Wonder Woman. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, apparently they don't, Jonathan, because they're making a fucking Justice League movie first. I just, I still don't, like, I still How, don't... how, think about this. Yeah. We are going to have a fucking Black Widow movie before we have a Wonder Woman movie. Like, Wonder Woman is the woman superhero. Like, she is the one. How the fuck is it? It's Black Widow. Like, nobody knew who Black Widow was five years ago. How is that even possible? It's that Marvel and and everyone they've employed are doing a great job, and everyone at DC is running around with their tails up their asses. And, you know, it's like... (laughs) it's, It's crazy. It's just weird. And it's just... it's The whole thing about the Justice League announcement is that they're going kind of all in on it. Yeah. On this plan that I don't think anyone is excited about. And it just weirds me out a little. Yeah. Or a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I want to know how you introduce a character who should be as significant as Wonder Woman in the context of a giant Batman-Superman story. Like... Yeah. She doesn't have... Unless you're going to really simplify it, her origin should take some time. It should be yeah, talked exactly. about. Yeah, exactly. And nobody knows... Like, nobody knows Wonder Woman's origin. Like, everyone, like, has heard Wonder Woman. No one knows her origin story, like, like publicly. So it you would... can't just gloss over it like you can with Batman. Nobody... Absolutely nobody knows who the fuck Cyborg is. I only know who Cyborg is because of the fucking Teen Titans cartoon. And if this Cyborg doesn't say Booyah at least once, I'm out. I don't give a fuck. And, you know, it would be, honestly, it would be like with the Wonder Woman connection, it would be like introducing Thor in an Iron Man movie. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, wait, 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 wait. Is that dude the fucking God of Thunder? Like, if that's actually really appropriate because fucking Wonder Woman is, is an Amazonian princess who was made from clay and imbued with powers by the Greek gods. Doesn't exactly fit in with Alien and fucking Genius Billionaire Man. Like, they're to- yeah. so different. You can't just throw in fucking Greek goddess lady in there, you know? Yeah. And robot dude. <laughs> and, all right. you know, the Prince of Atlantis and all this nonsense. It's crazy. You want to talk about something a little happier? Sure. All right. They're going to fuck up Justice League. It's going to piss me off so much. <laughs> Whatever. We've we've got Marvel movies. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, but I want, you know, I want DC movies to be good too. I, I do, but we're not, uh, you know, it's not, it's probably not happening. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. All right. Especially so, not for me. Okay, so let's move on. Um... I've got a couple quick announcements here of movies that are going to be playing in Denver this summer that I think I wanted to talk about here, just advocate for them a little bit. Uh, the original Godzilla film, Gojira, directed by Ishiro Honda, 
from 1954. Yes. It's going to be playing right. in the at the Sea Film Center in Denver, formerly the Denver Film Center, if you're more familiar with it under that name. It's on Colfax. It's by the Tattered Cover. It's a great theater, um, and they do a lot of cool stuff like this, and they will be playing the original Japanese Godzilla from May 9th. I, I don't know if it'll be one week or more than that, maybe two weeks, but they'll have it as one of their movies there. It's a really nice theater. Um, I've never gotten to see this on the big screen, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. And uh, it's a fantastic movie, and if you've never seen it, that would be the time, because the new Godzilla movie is coming out. Yeah. And, you know, just to be warned, if you're going to go see the Godzilla movie, and maybe you've seen other Godzilla movies... Yeah. The first movie is nothing like any of the other movies. The first movie is depressing as fuck. Yes. So... Go in there knowing that. That movie is so fucking depressing. Oh my god. But it's a great movie. It's, yeah, no, it's a fantastic film. But it's just, you need to be in the right mindset for it. You do. It's got some of the coolest, scariest effects ever yeah. in a movie, I think. It's got some great atmosphere. It's really interesting. And I think if you are excited for the new Godzilla movie coming from Warner Brothers, you should see this movie because I know they're they're pulling from this yeah, Godzilla yeah, movie. Yeah, they're definitely doing it in that style. It's a lot more, looks yeah. at least a lot more serious. and Right. I hope I hope there's at least one Japanese scientist with an eye patch in the new movie. Well, we do have Ken Watanabe is in it, but yeah. I don't know if he's but wearing he an eye patch. He does not have an eye patch. I've seen those. in the scenes we've seen. Oh yeah, maybe that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. By the end of the movie, anything could happen. He does have there was this new Asian trailer released for Godzilla. Did you see that? I didn't see it. It's got a great line at the end from Ken Watanabe, but I'm not going to spoil it sure. for you. Okay. But it's got a great. Great little scene there. So anyway, yeah, uh, Godzilla's coming out May 16th. We're excited for that, and I'm going to try to catch this in Denver. That sounds cool. Um, and the other thing, this has not been officially confirmed by the Alamo Draft House. If you don't know the Alamo Draft House, they're a theater. They were based out of Austin. They've expanded to a lot of places now. They're now in Denver, and I think they're... I've been to every theater in, in the Denver area multiple times. I think the Draft House is the best theater uh, in, in probably in the whole state right now. Um, and it's in Littleton. You should definitely check it out if you haven't. And there was a tweet yesterday from somebody else... But they retweeted it. The official Draft House uh, Twitter retweeted it. So I think you can take this. Yeah. It's fairly official. That Batman Mask of the Phantasm, which we will be talking about in yes. a little bit. It's a great Batman movie. It's the yes, movie it's from the animated series. And it's going to be... One pl- might argue, Jonathan, it is the best Batman movie. I think one might. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's coming out. It's going to be playing at the Draft House on June 7th, they're saying now. And in 35mm, which is amazing. That's really cool. Especially because I watched Mask of the Phantasm last night. I've got the the official DVD of it, and it looks like fucking garbage. I think it came out in like either the late 90s or early 2000s. Yeah, probably was late 90s. And they still haven't done a Blu-ray of it or anything. So, short of that, 35mm is what you're going to need. Yeah. And uh, that sounds cool, and the Draft House is a great theater. So, if that, if that comes to pass, they have not put tickets up yet on the Draft House because they're not scheduling out to June yet. But watch for that, because that's a great movie, and if, certainly if you've never seen it, that would be a great time yeah, to see it. Yeah, that would be a great way to watch it. So. Yeah. So, and those are both movies, like I said, I've never gotten to see uh, at all on the big screen. So, Also, the, the landmark Mayan, they're doing a couple of cool movie screenings. I know they're showing Lawrence of Arabia sometime in May, and sometimes in, sometime in June they're showing Seven Samurai. That is also a good movie. So, yeah, lots of good movies. Uh, summer, a lot of these theaters are doing cool stuff during the summer, but I wanted to note those, too, because they are relevant to... Current and future topics of the podcast. Yes. So anyway, let's move on, Sean. Quick couple bits of game gaming news. Gaming news. Just wanted to mention we have heard about this, but this podcast is being recorded before it comes out. Atlas has teased that they are going to be giving a an, a, a big Persona update. They're going to be talking about uh, the new Persona movie, about the first Persona movie, which has already come out, and they're going to the second half of the broadcast. This article says from 
This is Gematsu. Um, we'll feature wonderful guests presenting the latest information on the series with significant amounts such as a new Persona project scheduled. So there's going to be some new Persona news. We will talk about it next week. We just we recorded yeah. before they made the announcement. Yeah. But our speculation is that it's probably not going to be a game because they're already coming out with like four games. Yeah. So it's probably some like animated project. Because there is... They came out with an animated series that I didn't see because I don't think it's it's not very well regarded but Persona Trinity Soul which is sort of like a unique thing so I'm going to guess it's probably going to be something like that okay some like unique animated series yeah it would be they can't have any more games in the pipeline yeah like I don't even know what it would what it would be like they're putting out fucking three Persona 4 or is it four Persona 4 spinoffs yes yeah four Persona 4 like slash three spinoffs already and it's like you can't Maybe it's the fucking Persona 5 dancing game for all we know. Who knows? Before Persona 5 comes out. Yeah, exactly. No. Uh, yeah. So that's all we have there. Um, really quick. Uh, Drive Club has been given its PS4 release date finally in October. As far as we... It, who knows? You yeah. know. Maybe. Like, I read this... I, I kind of only skimmed it, but on Polygon, I read just like a really dumb thing where it said like, one of the main reasons why they pushed it back is that they needed to get the dynamic menus right. Which what? was like, I, again, I should have paid more attention to it. I just kind of saw the headline and glanced at the article. I was like, that sounds really dumb. That sounds like a dumb reason to delay your game for nearly a year, but whatever. Yeah, now that was. Menus. Dynamic menus. I and and team based racing. Team. Still, I don't know what the fuck that is, but Drive Club will probably have it. Probably. So anyway, yeah, it's it's kind of funny just because Drive Club has this weird saga where it had this huge announcement at the PS4 announcement. Really it's fun. what I might call it an orgasmic announcement, really. An orgasmic announcement. Um, they just ejaculated excitement everywhere. Yeah, all over the car seats. <laughs> all over the car seats. And then it got delayed and just kind of thrown into the ether. And and no, they... But the best part was that Drive Club was going to be the game that at the PS4's launch, everyone with PlayStation Plus, which would be everyone at the launch... Would have a free like trial version of the game that didn't happen. That didn't happen, and now it's coming out almost a full year later, one month shy of that. So that's I wonder kinda... if it's still going to have like the plus version or not. No, I they've, they've confirmed it's okay. still coming. Yeah, and they've confirmed that several times as it's been delayed, but they did confirm it with this um, to multiple sources. So yes, they'll have the plus version. Um, but I mean, they've there were sources saying that this game had to be redesigned from the ground up. So yeah, interesting. Going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Drive club, team based racing. Uh, At its finest. Let's see. Nintendo, I think this is hilarious. So, Mario Kart 8 comes out May 30th. I'm definitely going to pick it up, and I'm definitely going to pick it up now. because you have a Wii U. I do. Oh, God. Because Nintendo has announced that if you buy Mario Kart 8, you get a free Wii U game. And I think you get to pick from Pikmin 3, Super Mario Bros. U, uh, Wind Waker HD, and some, like, Nintendo shovelware game I've never heard of. But those three are three huge Wii U games. Those are the... The three Wii U games. Yeah. Well, there's Super Mario 3D Land. But oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I, was, I forgot. I was thinking when you said Super Mario U, yeah. that was Super Mario. Yeah. Yeah. No, but those are three really... Those are the two Wii U games, they, except for like the one Mario game that be the ones that people actually really care about. Yeah. No, I mean, that's pretty big. Those are still $60 games. And if you buy it between May 30th and June 31st, I think. June does not have a 31st. June 30th. Sorry about that. Um... You get you basically if you you have to register it with Club Nintendo, you get a code, you download it, and they're just giving it away to anyone who buys Mario Kart 8 anywhere within that month, including the Mario Kart 8 bundle for the Wii U. So this is a really kind of interesting strategy. Um, I, Jonathan, does this not sound like unbelievably desperate to it, you? That's about what I was going to say. It's interesting because it's desperate because it's just like just here's the games. We just. Play the Wii U! Just play!
buy it. Just buy it and play it. Like, we'll just give you all the games. We just, we, we need your money, please. Yes. That's what it sounds like to me. That's exactly what it sounds like, because what they're saying is that, obviously, Mario Kart 8, now that they've abandoned Super Smash Bros. for Wii U to come out six months after 3DS, yeah. this is it. This is their hope for selling this Wii U. This is their line in the sand. This is their line in the sand, and they're saying, there's they're making it basically... You you just have to get it because it's it's free. It's, 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 yeah, it's free. Like yeah. you're getting it. Uh, it's, it's just I've never heard of something where it's just like buy a game and we will just give you another one. Like just we just need to buy this fucking game. Which is especially because you know Mario Kart on the Wii sold like huge. Like it sold like thirty million copies. So yeah. they don't really probably need to push Mario Kart Eight that much because I don't think. I don't think this is going to push like more Wii U units. It's but who knows? I mean, they want it, they need it to. If I it mean, Mario Kart Eight will push more Wii U units, but like this deal, I don't think will. No, probably not because yeah, you know, and they've got a Mario Kart Eight bundle coming out that'll push units. It's a good yeah. bundle if you haven't bought a Wii U. That's probably one to get. It's like if you buy the bundle, here's all the here's all five of the games that have come out on the Wii U. Yes, maybe there's like seven or so. I don't know. You also get the season pass for Batman. It's been canceled, but you get it. <laughs> So anyway, it's it's just when Nintendo is drowning. Uh, there was a very good article on Polygon this week called something yeah. about uh, Nintendo is drowning, but they're yeah, committed I've to read doing. That. Ben Cachero wrote it. Yeah, they're Cachero committed to doing it silently. Definitely read that. Uh, ben Cachero did a great job with that, basically explaining all the ways in which Nintendo has decided that they just they're not interacting with customers, they're not interacting with consumers, they've shut off all lines of communication other than Nintendo Direct. They're not showing up yeah, at because, E3 yeah, anymore. Yeah, they, they announced again that the E3 things. Like last year, and and as he pointed out, the reason why PS4 and Xbox One are doing so well right now is that they have such open channels of communication, yeah. and and whether you believe it all or not, they're they're acting very pro consumer. They're acting very invested in their consumers, and it's a good atmosphere. Everyone's yeah. what I what I like about this console generation so far is everyone's pretty happy. Yeah, like that was one of the things when I went to make that Share Factory video. Like, I went online, I went on NeoGAF and Reddit and just, like, found these forums of people making these videos and talking about the Share Factory thing. And it was really interesting that, like, I have never seen this really positive community around, like, a console before. Where everyone was talking about, it's like, like, I should, oh, I should have mentioned this before. If, if you're, like, looking up, want to see, see some of the other really cool Share Factory videos, one person made one that you can probably just put, like, type into YouTube, like... 60s Batman Metal Gear Solid someone made a, a Share Factory video of Metal Gear Solid 5 Ground Zeroes with like the uh, Adam West Batman theme playing over it and one of the things you can put into the video is like basically the comic book like kapow effect so you put that in there very very well done but yeah like there's this kind of like the share functionality and like Xbox One has similar stuff with Upload Studio I feel like it's created these small communities of people that's like you know, like, these these videos are stamped with, like, Sony logos and stuff, but we don't give a fuck because we're kind of, like, that's almost kind of part of the joke, and everyone's in on it, and everyone's having fun with it. You know, you have, like, Shuhei Yoshida, like, making that, like, dumb videos about, like, here's the, the like, you know, back at E3 poking fun at Microsoft's DRM policies and stuff like that. Yeah. It's all kind of fun, jokey, happy community stuff that's kind of unprecedented, I think, for consoles. And Xbox is doing it too, and yeah. I think the cool thing here is that, you know, maybe there are still some pockets of people on the internet trying to do console worst stuff, but I don't feel that. It's like everyone's just, if you've got an Xbox One, you're having a good time. If you've got a PS4, you're having a good time. The two companies aren't actively sniping at each other the way they were last year. It's mm -hmm. just, and even though Xbox One is lagging behind, it's not 
drastic. It's not horrible. Yeah, it's, not, doing... it's not like it's the fucking Wii U or something. I know. <laughs> so everyone's just kind of happy, and I think part of it is just everyone's open. The two companies are even kind of open and friendly with each other online. Yeah, with and they're like talking with like you know actively open, getting like indie developers and stuff like yeah. that under their wing. It's, it's a very positive period, and Nintendo yeah. is acting like the bullied kid being angry just standing in the corner. Yeah. And they weren't actually bullied, they're just being passive-aggressive. Yeah. And it's really awkward at this point, and it's really kind of sad. Like, they, and they, they, they keep doing... Like the, you, like, the way you just, like, you just had this whole metaphor that now I feel like, like, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo are all, like, at, like eating, like, a high school cafeteria, and Nintendo's just, like, ruining the mood because it's, like, they're not part of the conversation. That's what I was going for, that's pretty much it at this point, right? I mean... Yeah. And it's just I don't Nintendo is just fucking dying on that on the console level. Yeah, I mean, it is. and it's weird because they're they're at a point too where it's just they're putting out they're putting so many of their resources towards 3ds. And honestly, if you have a 3ds, it's still a great deal, and there's still lots of good stuff coming out. But it's clear that they just don't know what they're doing on a console level. And I think if they don't get that together, it, the whole you know formula with communication too that will affect the 3ds at some point yeah. because they can't keep this going forever. Yeah. But you know. This, and then there's even there's games coming out for the 3DS that I feel like needed to be coming out for the Wii U, and they sound like they're really good, but they're staying with 3DS. Like you got this new Kirby game that I know some people hated, some people liked. You've got this new Mario Kart or Mario Golf one that everyone right. seems to think yeah. is is very good mechanically at least. Um, those sound like fun games. I would definitely I'm interested in that Mario Golf one in part because it's not a full forty dollar title. They priced it at thirty. Nice. Um, but hey, a good, good Mario Golf game, the Wii U could have used that. Yeah, like I remember the GameCube era. Like they had some good, like Super Mario Strikers, the like yeah. soccer game. And they had like a Mario Tennis. That's like those were pretty good. Like not amazing, but fun sports games. People would buy them. Yeah, so. if I owned a Wii U, I probably would. I'm not crazy, so I wouldn't buy a Wii U in the first place. It was for journalistic purposes. Sure. Keep on telling yourself that. John. What I have to do with the Wii U gamepad now because it's so big and it takes up so much of my table is when I'm not using it, it's just sitting on top of the console. <laughs> this is where it is. I thought it's just like you're just using it as a coaster. Like I literally can't fit it in my game controller drawers. I have. Right, yeah. That's. <laughs> oh well. Um, so that's Wii U. That's Wii U. There. It's fuck it. Um, let's see. So and and all with all of this in mind, I'm excited for Mario Kart 8 because Mario Kart 8 looks like a really good game. And are you excited about? What are you going to get? What are you going to get with um, Pikmin 3? I'm going to get Pikmin 3. Yeah, because don't you have the other ones? Do you... I don't have Mario U, but I want to get it. But I can also get that cheaper. And Pikmin 3 looks more fun from a co-op perspective. Yeah, I, I, wanna... I would pick Pikmin 3 out of No, I'm ones. definitely getting Pikmin 3 because Pikmin 3 is A, harder to find, and B, more expensive. So. Yeah, and you already have Wind Waker HD. So. We do have Wind Waker HD. So, yeah. Yeah. But Pikmin 3 does seem like a pretty like I I never played Pikmin 2 but I played Pikmin 1 Pikmin 1 was a very good game so and I've heard nothing but good, good hands and I've heard nothing but good things about 3 especially it sounds like the co-op is really interesting so mm-hmm. and it makes interesting use of the gamepad which that's the other thing is that Nintendo's just abandoned the gamepad yeah like, I mean that's what Nintendo always does is they're just like we have this gimmick on our thing eh fuck it we're just going to, we're never going to use it with our own games and here's the thing I heard about a pretty cool sounding game recently I think I I uh, bookmarked it here yeah there's a game coming out in Japan in June called Pokemon Art Academy and it's for the 3DS and you use the touchscreen it teaches you how to draw Pokemon and you can draw them on the touchscreen and stuff that sounds like a really cool use of the touchscreen you know what system could use that? No, Wii U. what? Oh, Wii U, yeah. And I think there was a Wii U Art Academy game, yes. And it's actually out now in North America. I didn't even know that. But yeah. Um, so, so they have put this out. But it's not Pokemon themed. Yeah, and they don't advertise it at all. No. Yeah. So, oh well. 
let's move on. Uh, the only other bit of news here in video games is that PS4 continues their indie game march. We've got a bunch oh, of... Oh, right, yeah. There's they a announced huge a, announcement. They announced a ton, and I'll just go through the titles. Um, I haven't heard of most of these. Some of them are, will be familiar to you, yeah. though. So they've got all these indie games. Some of them are brand new. Some of them are ports, but they're all going to be on the PS4 this summer, and they are Apotheon, Axiom Verge. Axiom Verge looks really cool. It's like a Metroid... It's like a Metroid game. I refuse to use the term Metroidvania... That's fucking. That term is fucking stupid. Why would you ever? Why do you have to combine the two when Castlevania Symphony of the Night just took the style from Metroid games? It's just Metroid, so it's a Metroid style game. Fuck your Metroidvania bullshit. I agree with Sean, not as strongly, but I agree with Sean. <laughs> they even because I watched the trailer for Action Verge, yeah. highly recommend it. Looks that game looks fucking awesome. But they even say Metroidvania in the trailer. They, fuck that. That genre name needs to die, and it needs to die fast, because it's fucking stupid. I, I agree. We've also got Chasm, Drifter, Escape Goat 2. Uh, that sounds fun. Ironclad Tactics, Jamestown Plus. I hope that's about, like, Jamestown, the, the Probably, North American yeah. colony. I, I mean, what else could it possibly be about? I don't know. I hope you get to, like, shoot aliens or something in Jamestown. Um, and the next one is the one I'm most excited about. Nidhogg. Nidhog. What's that, Sean? It's basically, it's a local multiplayer like competitive game where it's it's two players and it's like it's like you're like fencing so you like it's 2D and it's just really I've never played it but I've seen a lot of videos of people playing it and it just looks like it's a really fun local multiplayer game of you're just really fast play really fast paced just stabbing dudes trying to run across the screen and then if you win you get eaten by Nidhogg who's a giant dragon from Norse mythology so. I'm very excited for this game now yeah it's it looks super fun got Skulls of the Shogun another good title at least yeah. we have Source which I assume is a game about the development of the Source engine at Valve yeah I, I believe so as well yes. we have Spelunky and that's that's been out yeah. for a while it's a yeah, PS4 Spelunky's been on everything like PS Vita and stuff so. well and what's cool here is that it's cross buy so if you oh, own nice. the Vita or PS3 you get on PS4 I have it on all of those so I'll be excited to play it on the PS4 I own it I've, I've never really played it but yeah it's, it's like a roguelike game yeah and you've got Star Wall Just the Tip I, oh that that game also looks super fun. That's also like a really cool looking local competitive multiplayer game. Nice. Alright, so that's pretty much all the video game news. That actually sounds fun. Like, good summer with a lot of PS4 indie games. That yeah, and definitely good. like games you can play with your friends and stuff, too. So. Yeah, you know, one of the games we haven't talked about yet, and I'd love to play with you sometime, Sean, is Towerfall Ascension. Right, yeah, I've never played it. It's very fun. I've played a couple rounds with my brother. It's, it's a really good couch multiplayer game, mm-hmm. but I haven't played it in a while. So anyway, we got that and Octodad to look forward yeah. to. <laughs> As fun Need Hulk. All right. So Sean, you want to jump onto the topic? Yeah, let's do that. Da 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 da. Topic. That was that was disgraceful. You should. Do you, you want to just leave? Do you want to do a a, a, a transition jingle? Uh, bum bum bum. Topic. That was pretty bad too. That was way better than yours. Okay, fair let's enough. Let's move on to the topic. All right, Sean. What's our topic this week? Our topic this week is we made lists of our top ten favorite superhero movies, and we're going to talk about them. We did, and what I want to do is I, I normally I would have us do some of our honorable mentions up front. I want to save that to the end because I don't want to spoil things. I there. didn't actually make honorable mentions because it's like I I should have a bunch, but I was like, there are just so many of these movies that could like literally. I had like nine movies where I was like, all of these movies can just be number ten. So I'll just pick one from a franchise I haven't used yet. That's what I did too. Yeah. Um, but I, well, I, in terms of honorable mentions, I just want to mention some of those movies when we get sure. to the end. But for now, let's do our top tens. Um, first question, though, as always, is kind of what criteria were you using? How yeah. did you go about doing this? Okay, so for me, 
Although, I'm, yeah, I did not use any, like, I did not specifically go in there and was like, I'm only going to have one movie from each franchise. Although, I think I basically did. Unless you count, like, using multiple heroes twice, but not in the same franchise. So, I wouldn't count that anyways. But I didn't go in there thinking that. It just kind of ended up that way. Like I said, the number 10 spot was such a grab bag that I decided to just highlight a superhero franchise that was not anywhere else on the list. But, yeah, I mean, I, I should say, for me... As I always have to preface these discussions with, I'm a big comic book fan, and so that plays a huge part into how I enjoy these movies. So this is not necessarily, if I were to say which of these are like the best movie outside of like my personal relationship to the characters and my fandom and stuff, that would be a totally different list. This is totally like, what one do I have like the most emotion for and like hits me on a level that like and how it relates to my enjoyment of the comic book characters and stuff like that. Penny plays a huge portion as well as how good is the movie itself. So. Okay. And I definitely had a similar uh, method to you. So in terms of the 10 and, and do cr- franchises crossover, there's only one here where I have two movies from the same franchise and I thought I had to have them because part of my balance here was that I didn't want to make it like, okay, this movie's historically important so I have to have it yeah, on there because I then I would have the first X-Men and I don't think the first X-Men <laughs> Yeah, is, I would never... Yeah. I like because I I started my list by just like thinking of what are all the superhero movies I've seen and just like writing them all out and then at the end the first one I took off was X Men because it was at the bottom pretty much like, that's yep X Men yeah, there's no way you know I rewatched that movie like two years ago the movie's fucking terrible no it is and and so that's the thing is that yes it's historically important that's not what this is but if it's a great movie and I also feel like it is fundamental to how I understand and enjoy superhero cinema yeah. I thought it had a place on sure. here so that's kind of where it built but otherwise than that I kind of again I didn't consciously say I have to keep it to one movie per franchise but it mostly shook out that way and I had the exact same problem with number 10 Sean yeah. where it was a ton and I just picked I'm like what is the most unique one I'm going with the most unique one um, but number because one because it's like there's a handful of great superhero movies and there's just a massive quantity of like yeah, this is a pretty good superhero movie. Yeah, you know? or really good ones even. Yeah. And and so yeah, my number one was always set in stone. My number two was pretty much always set in stone. Um, I rewatched one of these to kind of find where it would fall. Uh, and and a lot of the I should say also is a lot of these were kind of tough to compare to one another. I've got it listed ten to one, but it's a very kind of rough ranking for yeah. me. Yeah, for me, a lot yeah. of places it's the same. So. And so I don't read as many comic books as Sean. There's a couple on here that I am more familiar with the comics of than others. Um, but this was really for me just how much do I love the movie itself and how much do I love the character as I know it from the movie because that's really sure. where that comes yeah. from. And there are a couple of the char- these characters that I do know from other mediums. Like, you know, spoiler, there's a Spider-Man movie on here. I have yeah. a bigger relationship with Spider-Man than just the Raimi movies. Yeah, but, the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah, and I've seen some other cartoons and stuff. But, by the way, Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, it, the complete series just came out on Blu-ray. Oh, nice. It's only 25 bucks on Amazon. Oh, holy shit. I got it. That is a massive, that is a super deal. It's awesome. You need to get this if you don't. It's a really cool packaging. It's, it's awesome. And if you haven't seen the Spectacular Spider-Man, it is to Spider-Man what Batman the Animated Series is to Batman. Okay, Sean's going to buy this right now. We're going to pause. You don't need to pause. Let's just keep going. Okay, we're not going to pause. Important. Here's something important. Everyone at home, take notes. Spider-Man, there's a hyphen between spider and man. If you're someone who just writes Spider-Man as one word or two words, fuck you, there's a hyphen. And you know what? I don't know if it's because I set my Microsoft Word to do this. It corrects... That, if I ever get it wrong. That is the... Microsoft Word is a good thing, if that's what it does by default. Yeah. Because that's, that is how you fucking... That's how you see... Is it still? Always, yeah, it's Spider-Man. Fucking okay. hyphen, motherfucker. Nice. Is it still twenty four ninety nine? it's, it's twenty seven ninety eight. Okay, close enough. 
Yeah. So that is a massive deal. Yes. I mean, I'll say right now, when I bought... I have the whole series on DVD, but Season 2 never came out as a complete set. Mm -hmm. So for Season 2, you had to buy the individual volumes, and that cost me about 60 bucks. Yeah. So... This was a good deal, and I get to consolidate, and it's one case on my shelf instead of, like, six. Yeah, and obviously, take this... I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, so take this as a... That the fact that I just placed my order, this is a fucking massive ringing endorsement of Spectacular Spider-Man, the animated series. It is a tremendous adaptation of the characters, so... Yes, I am excited. I haven't had time to watch these Blu-rays yet, but I actually hope we can, maybe over the summer, watch this set and talk about the show a little bit. Sure, yeah, I would love to. So It's really good. It's so good. I, yeah. We, we can't talk, we can't talk about everything. <laughs> yeah, we've got, we've got other superheroes shit to talk about. Let's move on. All right. I, that is, it's on my way now. It's on its way now, so. Okay. Yay, Amazon Prime. <laughs> All right, so, Sean, I'm gonna kick it to you. Your okay. number ten best comic book superhero movie ever is... The Wolverine. Interesting. This yeah. is one that almost made the cut for me. Yeah. I love it. I just didn't find room for it. Yeah, for me, again, 10 was such a grab bag that I was just like, there should be an X-Men movie on here because, like, two and kind of three of the X-Men movies are pretty fucking good. So, But it really came down between Wolverine and X-Men First Class. And part of me wants to say that X-Men First Class is probably a better movie, but I like their use of Wolverine more in Wolverine than the way they use the characters in X-Men First Class. That it's like, while while in X-Men First Class, Xavier and Magneto are tremendous, like, the rest of the mutants I don't think are, are very interesting, and a lot of them are very odd choices, and they don't have a lot of screen time, and that really bugged me. Whereas Wolverine... Yes, Wolverine's last act is really dumb and out of nowhere, but the most of the movie is such a great use of the character. Hugh Jackman has always been great as Wolverine, and this has just allowed him to really just play the character. Because, you know, they, all the other X-Men movies with him, they were basically just Wolverine movies. And then they did make a Wolverine movie that was shit. So they're like, let's make a good Wolverine movie that is just Wolverine, and he's the main character, and they nailed it. They made fantastic use of the, the Japanese setting, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Japanese stuff, so that that really helped too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Wolverine, like I said, it's like all of these movies, you know, have problems, and Wolverine has its own. But it's it, the good things it does. Like it has that fucking tremendous action scene on the top of the bullet train midway <laughs> through. That alone, like, basically, kind of earns its spot on this list. So. No, I, I love the Wolverine movie. This was def—it was definitely down between that and my number ten. And Wolverine would be my number eleven, probably. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there are no X Men movies on my list. And I think, makes sense. Yeah. You know, the Wolverine for me, there's no contest. It's the best X Men movie. Mm-hmm. I think it is absolutely a better film than First Class, and I like First Class a lot. In fact, I think I like both of these movies more than you do. On some probably, levels. yeah. But you at, definitely like First Class more than I do. I did. I know. But it's like, with Wolverine, I, I there's nothing in particular that kept it off the list other than it's got some weaknesses in its third act. Yeah. The other movie I put on here, I didn't. You know, that's all there is to it. But if you haven't seen the Wolverine, get it. I'm still excited at some point. I want to get the Blu-ray because it's got yeah, a director's the, cut. Yeah, I want the director's cut edition, too. Yeah. So anyway, but then, man, that's a good movie. Anything else to say about it? Yeah. If, yeah, if... If Hugh Jackman had been able to wear the Wolverine costume in it, it would be higher on the list. Okay, how much higher? It would. It would. I would just put it number zero. It would just be like, yay, because he fucking he needs to at some point. You know, he said in an interview that just came out today, actually, that he's pretty sure that the next Wolverine standalone movie will be his last time playing the character. 
And um, I hope the last shot is just him putting on the uniform. Yeah, at the and very least, it needs that much. Like, yeah. if it's just the very end, I would be fine with it. Because how good a moment. how good a piece of closure would that be for the Hugh yeah. Jackman Wolverine? That would be he, pretty fantastic. We, yeah. Our memories of him forever would be he left into the sunset wearing the yellow costume. Yeah, and then he just goes off into the comic books, and this is Wolverine. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Nope. So, Jonathan, what is your number ten favorite superhero movie of all time? Gonna go with Hellboy Two, The Golden Army. Interesting choice. I my I, I for a second considered the Hellboy movies, but I don't have any attachment to the Hellboy characters, so it's like I don't have really strong memories of the movies, even though I did like them a lot. Well, and here's the thing: I don't have any attachment to Hellboy in the comics at all. I don't know a goddamn thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's and, a dude. He's like a demon guy, and he has a trench coat. I've seen the movies. I and know. He's got a big arm. And he sounds like Ron Perlman. Even in the comics, he just sounds like Ron Perlman. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, is that... And, and Hellboy 1, also, the, the first Guillermo del Toro movie, I'm not a huge fan of. I think it's okay. Yeah, Ron it's Perlman sort of is messy gr- places. Yeah. yeah, it's messy. It's kind of low stakes. Ron Perlman is really good. And I think Selma Blair and some of the other actors are good. But it's it's spotty overall. But, I, you know, Hellboy 2 came out the week after The Dark Knight. Yeah. And I will forever contend that if it had come out at a more intelligent time, yeah. I can't believe they did that. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, no. that's not good positioning for you. I, I think this would be a more popular movie because I think it's a great superhero film. Um, Guillermo del Toro's style just shines throughout. It's there's such yeah. joy to the filmmaking. Ron Perlman is so good. Everyone else in the movie is so good. Like for instance, there, his, there's his friend Abe Sapien, mm-hmm. and he's played by this actor who often plays makeup roles called Doug Jones, named Doug Jones. Um, but he was voiced over, I believe, by David Hyde Pierce in the first movie. Yeah. In this movie, they just let Doug Jones do it, and there's a lot more. There's just more life to it because he's there. He's the character. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other fun characters at work here. Um, it's got one of the only Seth MacFarlane performances I tolerate. Which is him as, um, I forget the name of the character, but he's got a tank on his head and yeah. he's cool. Um, and it's got, you know, the romance between Hellboy and his girlfriend is really interesting. Um, I think the threat in the movie is interesting and different than what we've seen in superhero movies before. He winds up going to places that just look different and feel different. And, yeah. and honestly, there's no other action sequence or tone in any superhero movie ever made that is quite like Hellboy 2. Yeah. And I think that's why it's, it's at, on this list. And I could put it higher, I could have not put it on here at all, but it's just... It is so unique, and it is such a joyous piece of blockbuster filmmaking, and Guillermo del Toro's voice comes through so loud and clear, even though he's adapting someone else's character. Um, I wanted this to be on here, because it's definitely one of those seminal superhero movies for me. Um, And I do think that that it coming out after The Dark Knight, and I saw it a week later, and it didn't feel overshadowed to me, says something. Hmm. Um, it, I, I, just, I think it's really good It's really different If you've never seen it um, You want to see the first one first Just to kind of have that origin But know that Hellboy 2 Is the really good one yeah. and, and I even You know I would love If we got to see a third one someday But 2 is good enough That I don't feel like It's, it's completely necessary And I think that Guillermo del Toro And Ron Perlman And a lot of the people involved Seem to think that too Because I don't think There's an urgency to make it Yeah yeah Hellboy 2 is, is a really good movie Yeah Yeah all right, so let's move on. Sean, what's your number nine? My number nine favorite superhero movie of all time is Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Okay, I've never seen this one. It's awesome. You might say that it's my number nine favorite superhero movie of all time. That's how good it is. Okay. So basically, for those who don't know, Batman Beyond is an animated series that's sort of like a sequel, like a, like the sequel series to the Batman the Animated Series, which is the best version of Batman. Of course. Just hands down. And it's set way in the future where Bruce Wayne is, like, 80. Like, he's really old and kind of decrepit. He can't really be Batman anymore. And so you, there's this kid named Terry Guinness who he, like, sort of encounters Bruce Wayne and discovers that Bruce Wayne was Batman. 
and sort of sneaks in, like, puts on this, uh, like, techno super Batman suit that Bruce Wayne had developed to sort of amplify himself as he was in his old age because he couldn't fight anymore, so he needed, like, the sort of, like, exoskeleton suit to help him. And Terry McGinnis has, like, all this, like, crazy shit going on with his personal life. Terry McGinnis is basically, like... Batman Spider-Man, which is one of the main reasons why I really love the character, and the, the, the animated series, it's only like three seasons long, but it's really, really well done. It's a very unique take on the character, like I said. It has a, like, Terry and Bruce have a really, really interesting relationship with one another. Kevin Conroy voices old Bruce Wayne, but he, like, he t- t- brings in, like, a really fantastic performance, because he's not just Bruce Wayne. He is this old, crotchety, angry-ass fucking Bruce Wayne who's, who's alienated everybody in his life, Everyone hates him. He is completely and utterly alone, except for Abe the Bat Hound. They don't call him Bat Hound, but it's Abe. But he's there, and, you know, Barbara Gordon is the police commissioner, and it's a really, really great, sort of like crazy cyberpunk future with Batman stories that have a sort of like Spider Man humor to them as well. And a the main character has a lot of, you know, that sort of like teenager personal life issues that Peter Parker has that I really like. And Batman Beyond Return of the Joker was made after the series finished. And it features Mark Hamill returning in the role of the Joker who sort of mysteriously appears in this future where the Joker had been killed in the past. And one of the, probably the best section of the whole movie is actually a flashback that is all in the style of the the fourth season of the animated series of Batman where it's got Batman is in it, Tim Drake, Robin is in it, Batgirl is in it, and they're all fighting Harley Quinn and Joker. And in that flashback, Joker is killed, Harley Quinn is killed. And so it's this huge mystery about how the Joker, the Joker has returned. And so Terry McGinnis has to figure out, like, who this Joker is, where he comes from, and really prove himself as the Batman. And so, like, one of the... It's, it is a really, really good animated film. It's not as good as Mask of the Phantasm, obviously, because Mask of the Phantasm might be higher on this list somewhere. But it, it is really well done. It's written by those people. It's, it's performed by those people. It's got all that sense of style to it. And part of the reason why it's on this list is because I love that Batman Beyond universe so much, and it's such a great cap to it. It's such a great story to tell. It's got a really, like, the twist about how the Joker comes back, I think, is actually really interesting and really well done and really fucking creepy and, and dark in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really good, good Batman Beyond story and a perfect way to sort of, like, fulfill that character because that character's never coming back in, like, a, in that way. Like, he has comic books and stuff, but that TV show's never coming back. So, yeah, I, if, I I don't think watching the movie probably wouldn't do a whole lot for you if you didn't see the series, because you need to kind of have that attachment to the Terry character to really, like, get into it. But, yeah, I love Batman Beyond, and so this movie had to be on the list. Yeah, that's why I've never seen it, is I've just never seen Batman Beyond. Um, I hope you to watch really, that. Yeah, you really should. Like, Batman Beyond is, is, is in that realm of, like, Batman the Animated Series of just being this fantastic cartoon. I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see it. And Batman Beyond Return of the Joker was last year, the year before, released on Blu-ray. So um, it's gotten a very good release. So that's yeah. good. Um, anything else to say about that one? Nope. It's right. fucking awesome. My number nine movie, also awesome, I think, is Spider-Man. The original Spider-Man. The original Spider-Man. Take No Imitators. Sam Raimi's. Let me just see really quick. Where's... Okay, good. You got a hyphen. Okay. To prove. Yeah, of course I do. I, look, this is important to me too, Sean. <laughs> Trust Approved. me. I love Spider-Man, and here's the thing. The other night, uh, this was last week, I decided to, just as an experiment, uh, I wanted to rewatch Raimi's Spider-Man and Mark Webb's The Amazing, Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man and kind of do a more direct comparison with them. Um, 
And it was so interesting to me because I have not I had not watched the original Raimi movie since Amazing Spider-Man came out. Hmm, yeah. And I, as you know, I really liked the Amazing Spider-Man. And in the past, I'd, I'd the last time I'd rewatched Raimi's original Spider-Man a couple of years ago, I uh, I thought it hadn't aged all that well for me. Like I really still liked a lot of it. Um, and I don't know what I was smoking because when I rewatched Raimi's first Spider-Man the other night, I fucking fell in love with this movie like I was nine years old again. I mean, it's a pretty good movie. I think the thing, and it had to be on this list for me because this is the only one I'm putting on here because I think uh, where I want to invoke the term historical importance. Sure. But what we have of superhero films now that we love comes from Raimi Spider Man. That is the DNA of everything. Yeah. Yeah, because he fucking got it. He is making a comic book movie. He is unabashedly making a comic movie. Maybe too enthusiastically at some points where you have the Green Sleep. Goblin and No, that's awesome. Sleep is great. Yeah. But you know, Spider Man and the Green Goblin just hanging out, having a conversation, Goblin just slaps him on the shoulder and oh, leans back. No, that scene is incredible. There's I love no, it. I that, love... that is one of the best scenes in the whole movie. That I, is fucking fantastic. I agree, it's fantastic, it's incredible. It's just it's kinda of like tonally there are some jumps. But it's one of the Things where it's so because you, I like even in modern superhero movies you'd never see that no. because both of the because it's one of the, the great things about Spider-Man in the comics and one of the sort of like his curses in the movies is that Spider-Man's costume is a full body suit. So in the comics that's great because it makes him really mysterious and cool. And it's like anybody could be Spider-Man because he, he's fully covered. But in Movies, it's really awkward. It's really awkward a lot of times because it's like his dialogue seems kind of weird because you can't see any mouth movement, so it's like it all has to be kind of dubbed. And then there's always this like tendency to just have his mask come off constantly in the movies. Yeah, well, no, and I and here's what I was going to say though is that you know you can say I would not say this. I know some people would say maybe embracing the comic book too much. I don't think that though. I think there's a general tonal consistency to the original Spider-Man that is amazing to me. you know, there are certain things here and there that maybe don't work great. I, I think every time Peter narrates, which is pretty much just the beginning and end, is a giant right, mistake. Yeah, it's a weird, that yeah, doesn't weird work. Choice. There's things like that. But, I mean, Tobey Maguire. There will never be a better Spider-Man. I just, as maybe, much yeah. as... as he's, much he's as really good. As much as I love Andrew Garfield, and I think his performance in Amazing Spider-Man is superior. It's phenomenal. It's It's great. I think what Tobey Maguire... the superior Spider-Man? No, because there's Tobey Maguire. And the thing about Tobey Maguire is that he looks like the kind of guy who could be Peter Parker. He's, he's a nerd. Yes. He's a nerd. And that's so important to the character. And Andrew Garfield is a really cool dude. He's a handsome dude. Nothing like... against Andrew Garfield because he's a really cool dude. But he's not like... I mean, I mean, he's probably actually kind of a nerdy guy because he knows a lot about Spider-Man. Yes. But he doesn't have that, like, you know, like, science, like, pocket protector, you know, like... Dumb hair. Yeah, he's not that kind of nerd. He's not, and I just yeah. think there's this sort of quiet force to Tobey Maguire's performance that you just yeah. can't imitate. It gets even better in Spider-Man 2. And because there is... Because it, the, like, the narration is really dumb. But there is the scene at the end where they're at the funeral and Peter's walking away. And so Tobey's just like walking into the camera. And the expression on his face... You're right, there is something about... like Because Peter Parker is just this normal guy. And like this really nerdy... Anti-social guy who's been picked on most of his life, but he does have this quiet heroic determination to him, and that really comes across in a lot of his performance. Where it's like when he's fucking Spider-Man, he takes on that responsibility, and you really feel that. And he, but he's still a normal guy 
he's just a normal guy who's doing the right thing instead of being Superman or like a great hero. He's just a dude doing what he feels he has to do. Yes, that's a great way to put it. It's a it's just a phenomenal performance, and I think everyone in the movie is. You know, people want to make fun of of Kirsten Dunst in these movies because Mary Jane gets kidnapped a lot. Fuck you, Kirsten Dunst is giving great performances yeah. in these movies, and. I don't think she and, and Tobey Maguire have the level of chemistry Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield do. Nobody on earth does. You watch Amazing yeah. Spider-Man and anytime I mean, they're on... Aren't scene... they like actually dating now or something? Oh, I Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone? They yeah. were dating I think even before Spider-Man. Yeah. They've been together a long time. So but... they hopefully they have chemistry, yes. right? But I mean, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone walk into a room together and you just smile because yeah. everything's happy and they're glowing. Because they're really cool people. They are. And, and, you know, and I think you don't get that quality quite with Mary Jane and Peter and the first Spider-Man movie underwrites Mary Jane in a lot of ways. Okay, there was a, a massive siren I just had to edit out. Yeah. Let's get back into it. So, yeah, I think she's underwritten a little bit. Um, but still, you know, I think all the performances are great. I mean, you've got... Um, oh, what's the name of the actor who plays Uncle Ben in this? Cliff Robertson? Yes, Cliff Robertson. He's yeah. such a perfect Uncle Ben. His yeah, scenes are so really... good. I think Aunt May, I forget the so actress. So sad when he dies. He, it is. And I think the actress who plays Aunt May, you just couldn't ask yeah. for a better Aunt May. She's just mm-hmm. so warm and... and just, just a beautiful and she character. Looks exactly like Aunt May, like literally exactly like Aunt May from the comics. It always struck me. Yep, that's cool. And then you've got obviously J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson, <laughs> and you have Willem Dafoe giving one of the most interesting superhero movie performances <laughs> ever. Call it Can we call it interesting? Sleep. I mean, it, it, there is an energy to that character you yeah. don't get anywhere else. You want to call it good, you want to call it bad, whatever. It's unique. I just God call it, it crazy. That's I call what it, it. crazy. Is great. Which you know. Green Goblin is a pretty crazy fucking guy. So. He is. I mean, one of the things I love about Spectacular Spider-Man, the, the TV series, their version of the Green Goblin is a motherfucking lunatic. Yeah. And it's great. And it's, it's awesome. And, and Willem Dafoe gets that too. And, and there's just... There's so many things I always forget Spider-Man, the first movie, does well. Like the action scenes, no, they are not, you know, Captain America the Winter Soldier level. Yeah. But there are some phenomenal action sequences just in terms of... You have to take into account... This is 2001. Effects aren't where they are now. They're still figuring out how do we shoot Spider-Man on film. Yeah. But, I mean, God, good God, the template is there in the, in the first time Spider-Man goes out in this yeah. movie. They, they, Sam Raimi knew how to shoot Spider-Man. And I think there are some action scenes, particularly the bridge at the end, really well done. It's not, you know, the classic version of the bridge scene because the girlfriend doesn't die. Yeah, but it's inspired by it. It's at the end of the movie. It's inspired by it. It's really well done. And that transitions into this... I think very poignantly, interestingly, provocatively brutal fight between Green Goblin and Spider-Man. Yeah, the, like I said, like, is the end of that movie... Because they almost, like, they basically do adapt the end of... Because that's what happens to Green Goblin after all the Gwen Stacy shit goes down. Okay. So it's like, they, like, totally, like, yeah, it is fucking brutal. Like, when that when the, when the pumpkin bomb goes off in Peter's face and, like, rips his mask off, like, that's fucking harsh. Well, and you just see dog. the levels Peter is getting beaten down to, yeah. and then what... What compels him to finally stand back up and fight? It's the Green Goblin threatening his friends and family. Yeah. And he just, he knows, and that's Peter Parker, is that even if he is physically at the end of his rope, he's going to keep fighting if he has something to fight for. Yeah, yeah. And he'll always have something to fight for because he has this, you know, code of ethics he is, you know, shackled to. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie just does such a great job of that. But more than anything else, what I watched the first Spider-Man movie, and I was amazed by, is the pure, it just... Um, the economy of the storytelling. Yeah. 
which is that you start with, okay, we have one scene, and we're going to depict in this one scene how Peter Parker is a nerd and outcast, and that's all we need. And we go on to the next scene, and he's getting bit. And in that same scene, we're depicting how his relationship with Harry, his relationship with Mary Jane. Great. Next scene, we're going to do Uncle yeah. Ben and Aunt May. Next scene, we're going to do, you know, the, the wrestling match. They just go boom, boom, boom. Every scene is exactly what it needs to be. There's no fat on it. There's no bloat. There's nothing that's underdeveloped. It's all there, piece by piece by piece, and it feels so effortless getting from him getting bit to Uncle Ben dying to fighting the killer to deciding I'm going to save people because this is how I live with myself yeah and that's who I am and then you bring Green Goblin in and every piece of that it just falls into place it's, yeah, it's a very it's a great origin story because most movies like kind of struggle with that in getting because Spider-Man becomes Spider-Man really quick in the movie and that's yes. always something I've really appreciated about it because a lot of origins get bogged down with like you know, the, the hero doesn't appear in the costume until, like, two-thirds in. And sometimes that can be really frustrating. It's like, they get Spider-Man out there really quickly. Well, and here's the interesting thing, though. He does not appear in the suit, as we know it, until the 50-minute mark. Mm. And I, I was thinking about this because the problem with The Amazing Spider-Man, which is a movie I actually really do like, and I think it does a lot of interesting things. Yeah. It's not as good as the Raimi movies, but it's fun and I like it. The awkward part of it is that they are so bound and determined not to repeat anything Raimi did that they have to change every single bit of the origin story. And while parts of it feel nice and organic and, and they flow, other parts are just wildly out of left field and they're really they're just kind of mishmashed. And while the time isn't all that different, he's in the suit at the 50-minute mark in Amazing Spider-Man also. It no. feels like a, you've watched yeah, for two yeah, hours. Yeah, that was one of the ones where I was thinking of this. Is like, it feels like he was just... he's. When is this guy fucking Spider-Man? You know? Yeah, it takes a long time, and even then... You know, we've had this discussion before of, uh, does he actually become Spider-Man in Amazing yeah. Spider-Man? Yeah. And, and yeah. here's the thing. They, there is a clear progression they try to show of how he becomes Spider-Man, and they're actually more cognizant of it than I think you were I thought the first time. I, I watched it carefully for this, and their whole... You can tell that their interpretation is that when he gets on the bridge and he saves the kid from the lizard, that's when he realizes the power of what he can do as Spider-Man, and he even says this to Gwen. But it all happens so fast and feels so minor, and he feels so kind of... It's almost like happenstance. Yeah. It doesn't have that direct, I get it now, he's chosen to become a superhero. You don't... Because he goes right from that into fighting the lizard, whereas Spider-Man in the movie, the Green Goblin kind of... It's this distraction that comes in later for him. Yeah. And even when Green Goblin comes in first, it's not... All my attention goes to this. It's that if he pops up again, I'll fight him, but I've got work to do. Yeah. I'm the fucking Spider-Man. And, you know, here's the thing. I feel like what's weird is that Amazing Spider-Man feels busier, but I think it has less stuff going on, oddly. Because yeah, it's doesn't, agree, yeah. it doesn't have the Daily Bugle. It doesn't have J. Jonah Jameson. It doesn't have Betty Branch or any of these other side yeah, it characters. Doesn't, it doesn't have Harry Osborn in it. No. And, and Spider-Man 1 is like a busier movie, but it never feels busy. Nothing's underdeveloped. It's all there. Yeah. It's It works. I mean, you know, and... and I've never been able to decide whether or not I like James Franco's Harry Osborn. I think he's okay. He's acceptable. Like, <laughs> he's, Harry Osborn yeah. has never been the greatest character to me. No, he's fine. He's there. Um, but in any case, I really do think Spider-Man 1, as much as it gets overshadowed by 2, uh, and maybe movies that came after it, this is what good... This is the template. This is yeah. what a good superhero movie is, and I think it still holds up so well. It's a great superhero movie, and I love it. And, uh, and you know what? Especially comparing it to Amazing Spider-Man... They didn't fuck up the costume. Costume's really good, like right from the get go. They great. didn't need two shots at it, you know. Again, I feel like I watched Spider-Man One, and it is ahead of its time because what was its competition at the time? X-Men, where they were actively afraid to embrace any comic book element whatsoever. Yeah. yeah, all of it had to be sublimated. No costumes, no nothing. Spider-Man is in the Spider-Man costume. Green Goblin is in. Uh, a version of the Green Goblin costume. A very strange version of the Green Goblin costume, but yes. It's it's silly. It's great. And you know, hey, 
Spider-Man 1 has fucking bone saw in it. So there's... It's true. <laughs> I love that scene, too. It's a good scene. Yeah. And it's got a great cameo by the awesome Mr. Bruce Campbell. Oh, yes. Yes. And so does Spider-Man 2. And Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 is not on this list. God, I just I forgot about that scene where he says it's like he's going out and it's like, <laughs> hey, what's your name, kid? The Human Spider. The Human Spider? That's awful. Yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man. I love that Bruce Campbell named Spider-Man. Yeah, that's fantastic. I have a whole grand I have a whole grand unified theory of Bruce Campbell in the Spider-Man movies <laughs> where he is like Peter's like, you know, guardian angel. Well, that is cuz in the in the video games, Bruce Campbell is like the narrator and he like is. the tutorial guy. So yeah, he totally is. And he always intervenes when Peter needs a helping hand or like, he stops I like him. To, I like to think that Bruce Campbell is like Uatu the Watcher. <laughs> All right. Sean, what's your number 8? Right, okay, my number eight is the original Superman the movie. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I was wondering if you were going to have this on here. It has to it has to be on here, man. You, you hate the last scene so much, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's something, you know, hey, Wolverine has a really shitty ending. Superman has one of the literally worst endings to any movie I've ever seen, where he flies around the Earth... Backwards so fast that he reverses the flow of time to save Lois Lane. That is super fucking stupid. No question about it. But the rest of the movie is great. And I think it's it. the movie just gets Superman. And it's one of the things that it's like... like it's major downfall in, in sort of adapting the characters. That it doesn't have the effects like Man of Steel had to like... You know, really... You know, like you can... Sure, you can believe a man can fly... But you can't necessarily believe that a man can fly at supersonic speeds and punch through, like, a titanium wall. You know, that's not what... The effects can't achieve that. But they don't really need to. Like, it's it's a very simple story that is just, you know, hey, Superman's going to Metropolis. He's fucking Superman. There's Lois Lane. He's going to fly around with Lois Lane. And also, you know, there's fucking Lex Luthor. And he's great. Oh, I, they're all great. I, I love this movie. This is one of my favorites. It didn't... Make the list for reason. I, you know, it was just one of those. It was up for number ten, yeah. and there were a lot. Yeah. Um, but man, I watched this movie a ton as a kid. I have the big fourteen disc DVD set. I love it. I, you know, Christopher Reeve. You, you don't get better than that. He's such a good Superman, and that's like it. That's like all. I don't even have like anything to say about the movie. It's just it. It's such a great version of the character, and I love Superman is a great character, and I hate Man of Steel. So I like I I almost put this thing on here partially in spite of Man of Steel because fuck that movie and fuck that Superman. Christopher Reeve was fucking Superman. God damn it. God damn it. No, and I think one of the interesting things about it is that Superman the movie was so good, and then no one involved with it had any idea what to do past it, and no one who came on afterwards had any idea what to do past yeah. it, and it cast this long shadow where every Superman movie subsequently had to be remaking it in some way or playing with yeah, those like elements. Yeah, like fucking Superman Returns. Oh, yeah. That movie got fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was trying to remake. Like, live up to that legacy. Yeah. And I think it cast... Everyone was just trying to chase that, you know, chase that buzz from Superman the movie and they just couldn't. And, you know, say what you will about Man of Steel, it was the first one to tr- finally say, all yeah, right... Yeah, at least it tried to do something different. Yeah. We're not making Christopher Reeve 6. It, it really did something different. Yes. Yeah. All right. So anyway... I would like to see someone Photoshop Christopher Reeve into the scene where Superman snaps Zod's neck. <laughs> no, fuck no. Don't even say that. Those, those are two very Don't different Supermen. Don't even say that. Good God. What are you, you monster. You horrible human being. Fuck you. How do you take something so pure 
of like actual fucking Superman and try to put him in shit like that. God damn it. <laughs> Fuck that movie. Okay. What's your number eight? If your number eight is Man of Steel, I'm going to kick you in the chest. Oh, Man of Steel is higher than that. Oh, God. <laughs> My number eight is Watchmen. Okay, sure. That's another Zack Snyder. I like Watchmen a lot, and and if if you know me, you know I love the book Watchmen. It's one yeah. of my favorite books, comic or no. I, I really love it, and uh, I really like Zack Snyder's movie. I, I liked it when it came out. I still like it. I think it's really well done. I know some people have some complaints about it um, in a lot of different areas. The most common one I hear is that it's too close to the book. And it's weird. That's a complaint I levy against a lot of different things. That is one of my core tenets, I would say, as a film critic, is that the things I argue for is that I don't like adaptations that are slavish, and I think adaptation that is slavish is adaptation that is pointless. Yeah, now, sure. Zack Snyder's Watchmen is in many ways a slavish adaptation. It gets through most of the major story beats. It changes things at the end, but it clearly loves the material and wants to do it right. And the thing is... I do feel when I'm watching it that I'm getting, even though it's the same narrative, it is a different experience. And it gives me something different than the comic book gives. And I think that's what I want out of it. And so a lot of it really does come down to the cast, which I think for the most part is really good. Especially Jack Yarrell Haley yeah, and Rorschach. Patrick Wilson yeah. um, as Rorschach and Night Owl. They're just fantastic. Um, and I think Zach, but moreover, Zack Snyder's direction just does something with Watchmen where it is distinctly not the style of the comic book. So while you have a script sure. that is very much the story of the comic book, the style is not, he's not going for, we're doing golden age colors. Mm-hmm. And we're doing this kind of really, um, this, this world that is very sort of beautiful on the surface, but gritty underneath. We're not, and you know, it's not sort of this reserved style of action. It's very in your face. It's a lot of, re, you know, reverses of that. And I think some people have um, sort of criticized the movie for not being Watchmen-esque enough because of that. And what's funny to me is that I feel like they're in conversation with one another. I think... Watchmen the movie is doing something different because it's trying to illustrate some of these ideas um, I don't want to say in a modern context but in a cinematic context and what this looks like when we're actually actualizing it and we have three dimensions of space here not that it's a 3D movie but that you know we're seeing an actual image with live action actors and what does that become and I think there's a great viscerality to it I think it's really interesting to see a lot of the story points from the book done um, just in this style, in live action, in this sort of heightened reality, but in this reality that also has this immediacy to it and this tactileness to it. Um, it's really fascinating to me. And moreover, I just think it's a really well-done movie. I think it's got a great score. I love how they use music. Um, again, I like most of the acting very much. The only one I, I didn't like was I thought Ozymandias was way too young for that part. Yeah, yeah, they're um, Ozymandias. This is a little weird. Not that it's a bad performance. I just think that it's miscast. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of awkward, but overall, I just I think it flows well. Um, I, th- I, th- I think most of the choices in adaptation are interesting. I'm not a huge fan of the changes they make to the ending, just because I think thematically it's not as airtight as what Alan Moore did. Yeah. But I also know you in no way could have done the Alan Moore ending on sure, film. Yeah. So this is this is good enough, and it's better than recently. We learned what Terry Gilliam's ending was going to be if he made the movie. Did you read about this? No. Yeah, Terry Gilliam gave an interview because he was going to direct the movie in the '90s. And his right, ending yeah. would have been, they all go back in time, lose their memories, and were never superheroes. And then it ends with, like, Laurie and Night Owl looking at each other and being like, do we know each other? And then it ends. Huh. So he was not going to make Watchmen. And then Zack Snyder got in some controversy where he said, I made the movie because I wanted to save it from the Terry Gilliams of the world. He was not insulting Terry Gilliam as a director, but he was trying to say, 
look, if you do something that drastic, and everybody else was suggesting something that drastic, it's just not Watchmen. And there is a line, you know, even though I have this opinion about adaptation, obviously there's a line where you get to a point where that's not the story. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, Watchmen is not a perfect movie, but I think in terms of ambition and execution and what it's going for and the impossible task it had on its plate, yeah. that it is even a good movie, let alone I think a great one, um, is miraculous. And it's definitely, it deserves on this list for me. I could put it higher, I could put it lower maybe, but eight feels about right. Sure. Yeah, I like Watchmen. I don't like. I don't love the movie, but I think it is a good. I think it is a good movie. Okay. All right. You like it more than Man of Steel? Yes. All right. So, Sean, what's your number seven? My number seven is a movie I know we both love. Thor: The Dark World. Awesome. Thor. Some might call it Thor Two. Okay. Technically, it's just Thor: The Dark World. I don't know how much we really need to say about this because we did a whole podcast on it. But basically, I think. You know, the original Thor movie was a good origin and first step for the character. I enjoyed it. It wasn't like a great superhero movie or anything. But the sequel, god damn it, man. God damn it. The movie is, it has a tremendous sense of style. All the acting is pitch perfect for what it needs to be. And the action is super, super creative. And the movie's just super funny. Like, it's got such a great understanding of comic book tone. I think it, it actually has the best understanding of comic book tone of any of the movies on this list where it just watching the movie felt like I was watching a comic book and that's a bizarre experience in a lot of ways but it was like I could see the panels on the screen motherfucker and just so good so good I love Thor too. It's not on my list but I, I have a ton of fun with it it's great it's got Thor hanging up his hammer yes it's got Cat Dennings asking Thor how space and him saying space is good. And you know, it's got that just the whole sequence where they're fighting in London and like Thor's hammer is flying across the fucking universe trying to get to him because they're going through all the portals. Like the movie's just it's so creative and so funny and it's just it's a it's a blast to watch. So absolutely, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I could quantify why it's not on my list except it felt a little more lightweight than some of the ones sure. on here. But you I understand know. that. I it's like. But the movie is on my list because it's lightweight. No, abs- yeah. absolutely. And I want to make that distinction in that, you know, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people have criticized Thor 2. Thor 2 knows what it is, and I think there's absolutely a place for that kind of yeah. comic book movie. And there, we need to accept that that place exists because it has a lot to offer. I think so. Certainly in terms of just making you feel good about the world, you can't go wrong with Thor 2. Making you feel good about the dark world. My number seven. <laughs> yeah, what's your number seven? My number seven is Iron Man, the original. Iron Man is on my list. It's okay. A little bit higher. A little bit higher. Okay. Uh, this was a tough one for me because I wasn't sure which Iron Man movie to pick, except that it wouldn't be two, which really is <laughs> between one and two, yeah, I guess. So. And, and I, for those, I know which one to pick. I know. Uh, yeah. And, and I love Iron Man 3. And I think Iron Man some, 3 has a lot of good stuff in it. But. And I think in some ways it's a better movie than one. I think it's, it's tighter in some ways. But Iron Man 1, maybe I have to use the term of historical importance again. Sure. This was just such a breakthrough. And it, I, I sometimes wish I could go back to 2008 before I had seen Marvel movies. Yeah. And just see Iron Man again for the first time because it's it was such a revelation at the time. It's still such a blast when you watch it today. It has problems. The ending isn't... isn't well, the ending is amazing with the I Am Iron very, Man. Very, very end. Yeah. yeah. What a great... The climax is not particularly interesting between him and the Jeff Bridges character. Yeah, and Obadiah I don't, Stane. And Obadiah Stane is not an interesting villain. The, the but, Iron Mongrel. 
But good God, Robert yes. Downey Jr. is just so phenomenal in the part, so immediately. Gwyneth Paltrow is so good. Lots, so many good characters in this. And I think the origin story is just so well told. Yeah. It's got that Spider-Man 1 quality of... It's economic, and then when we get into the actual meat of the movie, there's this just clear organic through line between what happens to Iron Man in the beginning and who he becomes over the course of the story. And, you know, I I don't feel like this kind of list could be complete without this movie because this was such a breakthrough, and I think it's always going to hold up. Yeah. I'll talk about Iron Man more when it's on my list. All right. So what's your number six? My number six is The Dark Knight. Okay. Is Dark Knight on your list? A little higher. Yeah, I, I imagine so. Yeah, and so I have a really complex relationship with the Christopher Nolan Batman movies because my sort of attachment to, and this is actually for most DC stuff, my attachment is more to the animated series than it has ever been to the comics. Like, I've gotten more into DC comics as I've gotten older, but I'm very, very attached to the, to the Batman series, the Superman series, Batman Beyond, Justice League, and Justice League Unlimited. They were so foundational to my childhood in the way that like when I, I was reading Marvel comics at that time but watching DC cartoons and so they both kind of informed my understanding of like comic books and this style and the superheroes and this style of storytelling and so Christopher Nolan's Batman movies are really good movies and, and, and I think it's sort of indisputable that Dark Knight is the best out of the three like there I met someone who thinks Batman Begins is the best one I, and I appreciate that perspective Batman Begins has some stuff that I really like in it. Dark Knight's just the best one. Like, it just is. Dark Knight is a legitimately great movie. I think yeah. you can separate that from anything else. It's one yeah, of the exactly. best. And that's, like, yeah. the, 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 Dark Knight is as high as it on, on this, on, high as it is on this list, purely because it is a fantastically made film. Like, it is so, so well made just as a movie. The complexity with my relationship to it comes in of that I don't, agree with the style of the Batman character that I don't there's something that rubs me the wrong way about anything where you have adapted the Batman character but you cannot adapt most of the rest of the material that you can't do most of the villains in the style that you can't do the Bat family you can't do Robin you can't do Nightwing you can't do Batgirl you can't do that in the style and that is such a part of the character it's such a part of the mythos to me that it just it there's this like knot in my stomach and it just makes me uncomfortable that it's like even though it's a good movie and it's I recognize it as a valid interpretation of the character because because the character has been done like this in comics and it's been done well but there's just something that's kind of wrong about that but it's a credit to how fantastic of a film Dark Knight is that it's not only on this list but it's number six that it blows through all of that for me that just the and especially, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker is so good. That is such a good version of the character that could be in that could be in the comic books if they wanted to be. Like he's fucking really dark. Well, I mean, he really takes dark. a lot from the Killing Joke. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And you know, like Christian Bale's Batman, his Bruce Wayne's okay. His Batman voice is so bad. Is so bad, but. Like, he's still a charismatic actor, so, like, he it, he pulls it through. It's not like he's, like, this wet... Like, I don't know. Like, it's not like he ruins the movie or it's anything. It's not George Clooney as Batman? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not, like, awful, awful, but it's, like, it kind of bugs me. Michael Caine's Alfred... Michael Caine's fucking great. Alfred only talks in speeches, and that's really annoying. 
But Michael Caine is really still great. Here's the thing, though, I would say. I think it works in The Dark Knight in a way it doesn't sure, quite it, work. It, it works much better in The Dark Knight. In Dark Knight Rises is where it gets just over the top, where it's literally just like, oh, Alfred's on screen. Let's, let's, well, let's just listen to you preach for the next five minutes. All right. And then in the fucking Dark Knight Rises, Alfred abandons Bruce. That's just... That's it's it's wrong. Up. It's that's fucked just, up. That's I agree. fucked up. But that's not this movie. This no. is The Dark Knight. And, like... The Dark Knight, like, I have some issues with the pacing that has always felt really weird in places that it feels like the movie's just, like... The movie just feels like it wants to end at a lot of different points to me. I've never heard anyone else have this complaint, so I think it's just something unique to me. But that kind of rubs me the wrong way. But, you know, on top of that, like, just the direction is fantastic. The acting is great. The writing is really sharp. Because, you know, like I said, like, you know, Alfred only... Speaks in speeches, which can get a little annoying, but the speeches are very well written, and because it's Michael Caine, they are very, very well delivered. And you know, fucking Commissioner Gordon is fucking fantastic. Oh, Gary, Gary Oldman, Oldman yeah. is so good as Commissioner Gordon. Again, like that is a version of the character that could exist anywhere else. So it's like I'm particularly fond of him. But yeah, like Dark Knight is just—it's a great, great crime thriller movie. If it's not a, in my opinion, a great Batman movie. But there's still enough Batman in there that it's number six on my list. Yeah, mine's higher. And I want to say one thing before we move on. Because yeah. I had a weird thing with The Dark Knight where it either had to be at the spot it is on my list. True. And we'll get there. Or it had to be not on the list at all. And I had a I lot. I that, yeah. really considered not putting it on the list because I just don't know how to reconcile it with all these other movies. I understand that. Yeah, I had a hard because here's I the thing, I have a similar issue with you f- to these movies where, yeah. and I can dis- I can separate it more. I don't know what it is because I love Batman as a character too. I love the animated yeah. series. I've I've talked a lot about the Arkham games and what an impact those have had on yeah. me. I love Mask of the Phantasm. We'll talk about that soon. You know that kind of thing. And and yeah, Batman in Christopher Nolan's Batman movies is not my Batman. That's not how I interpret yeah. the character necessarily. I think it's an interesting interpretation, and I like seeing it. But it's more like this is a character called Batman, and it's an interesting character, and it's an interesting universe. It's just not Batman, Batman to yeah. me. Batman, um, Batman, Batman. But it, it so happens that you know I can separate those totally, and I'm just in a different mode when I'm watching yeah. the Nolan movies. I love the Nolan movies. I deliberated a lot. Whether to put Batman Begins or Dark Knight Rises on here because I think those are great movies too, but that that became too hard. It's like I I can't yeah, reconcile those yeah. either. So yeah. yeah, so I went with the Dark Knight and it's on there. We'll talk about it when we get there. I do think it's just you know flat out one of the best movies made in the two thousands. And sure, it's you you know it, if your criteria is comic book superhero movies, it is technically one of them. Yeah, it has yeah, to that's, be. On that's here. a good way to say it. it is technically one of them. Yeah, and I just want to say it's it's because Dark Knight Rises is not on my list. It was never going to be on my list, but Bane gets an honorary mention because what a weird fucking villain he is! What a great fucking villain he is! So yeah, Bane. I just want to say Bane. I love Bane. It's it's, it's awesome. All right. So was that your number six? Yes, that was my number six. All right. So Jonathan, what is your number six? My number six is Man of Steel, and I don't even know if I want to talk about it because you don't ever let me talk about it when I talk about why I like Man of Steel. I let you go off on your rants. I'm not. But, I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Until the end. Until you're done, I'm not going to say anything. Then, so. then I might just want to move on because I don't. No, know if I, I want to I'm going to have to say something. It's just you've already said that you hate the movie. It's an awful movie. So just go. go. Okay. Go. I like Man of Steel a lot. I think it's very well made. It's another one where you know, yeah, I recognize this is not traditional Superman. This is not. Um, I, I, it's the same separation for me between Superman of, of any other medium and Superman in this movie. The same with Batman in any other medium, Batman in the Nolan movies. I said it at the time, I, I'll say it now, I think 
The style of Man of Steel is super interesting to me. I think it's extremely well-directed. I like all the acting. I think Henry Cavill is a really, really good performance there and a really interesting Clark Kent and Superman. I like how they treat that character, and I like sort of the ways they explore duality in the film. I think it's got a lot of really interesting emotional relationships, particularly with his dual fathers. I think the action scenes are probably the best of any of movie on this list behind one other. I think that they're fantastic, and I think no movie ever made has ever kind of... Uh, gone to the lengths of depicting what uh, superhuman beings fighting on Earth would be like. I think that's fascinating. It's to me like it's it's got Christopher Nolan in its DNA, and yet it's unlike any other superhero movie out there. To me, um, it's got a very artistic style. It's got a very tight story to me that flows really, really well. It's very economic. Um, it's very thematically tight. Even if you don't like it, I feel like the themes are all there, and I think they're. Um, to me, they're very well explored, and I think uh, the movie's pace to hammer them home in really powerful, interesting ways. Um, and I just, I really loved it, and it's another one that I feel like I could have put higher, and it kind of landed where it is because it's like Dark Knight, and then I'm not sure how to compare it with all these other ones. It is more overtly comic booky, but only just because, you know, Superman does have superpowers in this movie. Uh, Batman does not in The Dark Knight. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing would be the Hans Zimmer score, I think. Uh, Hans Zimmer is a really, really good composer, and I think this is this is my favorite score he's ever done, so it gets extra points for that. Um, so that's Man of Steel. I thought it had an interesting task to it of kind of redefining and, and trying to reintroduce a character who had been really stagnant in movies since 1978, and I, I found it very fascinating and very emotionally resonant, and uh, it's, it's a movie I love. I appreciate that, Jonathan. Okay. I, I'm, I'm happy that you enjoyed it. Fuck that movie. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. It's an awful piece of shit. Okay. Number. What's your number five? My number five is Iron Man, which we already what's talked that? about. <laughs> you already talked about Iron Man. I don't have a whole lot to add to the discussion. I think it is. It is. It was because it, it's partially this high on my list because of the sort of the historical significance, and I have so much attachment to it because. I just have like a sort of a weird, even though it didn't come out that long ago. I have a nostalgia around it of just like. When it came out, it was such a sort of revelation because it was Iron Man was a character I liked from the comics, but I never liked that much. Like I haven't read a lot of Iron Man comics. I'm mostly exposed to him by reading Avengers comics or him popping up in other stuff. So it was never a character I cared that much about. But god damn it, Robert Downey Jr. is so so good as Tony Stark, and that movie just nailed his origin so well even if the action is not that great and the villain's not that compelling that's not what the movie's about that's what not what the movie's trying to do so even though those parts are a little weak like they are such minor parts of the movie overall i think they nail the character so perfectly and it was such a different style and it was such a breath of fresh air of just like this is this is a goddamn comic book movie and this is you know this is a fucking Marvel comic book movie. God I mean, damn it. here's a good question: between yeah. like, let's say, Spider-Man Two and The Dark Knight, or and uh, Iron Man, it came oh. out the same summer as The Dark Knight. Sure, but yeah. what the hell? What else did we have besides like shitty Fantastic Four, shitty X-Men Three, oh, shitty? Yeah, like Iron Man was a breath of fresh air in so many ways because we had the Nolan Batman movies coming out, but those are a different beast. Yeah, and, and then Iron Man comes out. And it's like. Holy shit, this is the first... Comic book movies can be fun! <laughs> like, that's really what kind of it felt like. And goddamn, you know, when at the end of the movie, Tony Stark just says, I am Iron Man. And they they drop the mic! Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> fuck yeah! Fuck yeah, he is! Because that's another thing that uh, Marvel did a whole lot to change in this period was... 
a lot of the movies that came out between that, like Spider-Man 2 and Iron Man, yeah. that period, and even before Spider-Man 2, was they were all stuck in this rut of, we have to have secret identities, that's what the movie is about, yeah. that's going to consume the movie, that's going to be everything to the movie, and it was such a drag, and then Iron Man's like, you know what, we're not dealing with that shit. Yeah. It's just like, because especially, because, the, I mean, the Iron Man character... I don't know if he's he like at what point he stopped, but like he did have like secret identity was a thing for him because it was for everyone in the sixties. But it was like it's such an unneeded part of the character these days that they made such a smart decision of just saying like fuck it, fuck it. He's just Iron Man because Tony Stark he's not the kind of guy who tried to hide it. He's not even the really he couldn't even really hide it because who else on the planet could possibly be Iron Man? <laughs> so yeah, like Iron Man is is so good, and you know. Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 are both good movies, and they both have flaws that are, like, really different flaws. They're very different movies, and I like both of them. But, yeah, Iron Man is, is my favorite out of that trilogy, so... Okay. Yeah, Iron Man. All right, well, my number five... Is Man of Steel? Favorite... I already talked about Man of Steel. So I was afraid that the rest of your list would just be Man of Steel. I don't love it that much. <laughs> don't love any of these movies enough. Yeah, well, well, the fact that you like it all just means that you're fucking insane. You I'm, might not even know what numbers are anymore. <laughs> Number five is Batman Mask of the Phantasm, so you take that back. So you're, you're insane, because that's way too low on your list. I watched this last night, and I will say, I, I love Mask of the Phantasm. The first time I saw it, it blew my fucking mind. The second time, it didn't quite blow my fucking mind. I think it's not a perfect movie, but it is, I mean, Dark Knight is higher, obviously, because I haven't talked about it yet. It's the best Batman movie ever made. Dark Knight is not a Batman movie. We can yeah. separate that. Yeah. Mask of the Phantasm, that's where it's at. It's probably oh, yeah. the best thing to come out of the animated series. Probably, yeah. That and maybe the Mr. Freeze episode and some of the other Joker yeah, ones. Yeah, Heart of Ice is really good. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, Mask of the Phantasm, let me lay this out for you. In 76 minutes, they do a Batman origin story. That is new and we have not seen before. Yeah. It's a different take on it. They do a romance for Bruce Wayne that is successful and interesting. And can you name another Batman story that does that, Sean? Batman Hush kind of gets an interesting thing between Catwoman and Batman, kind of. Okay. But yes, typically, love interest for Batman, bad fucking idea. We have, so we have those two things, which are big. Yeah. We, we have a new villain in the Phantasm. We have a mystery. We have a gang war going on. We have the Joker re-entering the plot yeah. at the midway point. Um, and there's probably and we have action sequences and stuff on top yeah. of that, and they do it in 76 minutes. Nothing feels rushed. Nothing feels underdeveloped. And when you get to the final scenes and it's all come together, it's it is mind blowing every yeah. time. I mean, the way they mix the Joker and the Phantasm and Batman and specifically what Bruce Wayne's emotional arc at that point in the movie is, and the depths of darkness it gets into yeah. there. I mean, here's the thing. I think the overall message of Mask of the Phantasm, if you want to assign it one, is darker than anything in the Christopher Nolan movies sure, because yeah. it's basically that. Bruce Wayne is capable of humanity, and humanity is not capable of Bruce Wayne. Sure. Yeah. And that he he could live a life and be happy if humanity wasn't so fucked up and evil and mm -hmm. broken. Yeah. And that's the message. And that's and, and it's kind of embodied through the Joker, it's embodied through the, the, the Phantasm character. I don't want to spoil what the yeah, yeah. the twist is if you haven't seen it. It's it's old, but it's it's worth it. Yeah, um, not to spoil it. And I just think that's really amazing. It's it's definitely, you know, it's it's got some animation. Even though the animation is gorgeous and I love the style of the animated series, there's some limitations here and there. There's some um, wonky scenes where they do have to kind of balance the adult versus child kind of audience thing. 
but it's just I again I think for 76 minutes what they plug in here and the level of story they tell about Batman it's similar to me to what Spider-Man 2 does for Spider-Man in that it 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 kind of asks some fundamental questions about Batman and it's really fascinating the difference with Mask of the Phantasm is I don't know if anyone else has asked these questions this interestingly or effectively yeah um, because the whole arc about is about Bruce Wayne as he's starting to become Batman he, he meets a girl and he falls in love and he's wondering, can I break the promise I made to my parents and be with her? Is that enough? And he has this line and Kevin Conroy delivers it, your heart just shrivels. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, um, don't I deserve to be happy? Mm-hmm. And he's weeping at his parents' grave and, and he, or no, he says, I never expected to be happy. Mm-hmm. I never counted on it. And that is so, that's Batman. Yeah. And I think the fascinating question the movie asks is, what if Bruce Wayne got in a position where he had the chance to be happy mm-hmm. what would that do to Batman what would that do to him and I think you know for a ostensibly kids movie to ask that and then explore the issues it does I mean the other thing is that I mean Mark Hamill is always great as the Joker but this is one of his oh best God, performances yeah. he's terrifying in this movie and his final laugh like again I don't want to spoil it but the thing that triggers his last laugh and what happens and there could there's a very good implication at the end that he's dead yeah um it's fascinating and it's amazing and it fuels so much I think of what the Joker is in the Arkham games yeah yeah, yeah. Master of the Phantasm is great it's another one that's very hard for me to compare with anything else on this list because it's the only animated one it's significantly shorter um, the other other movies are a little bit closer to me in a lot of ways but you know Mask of the Phantasm is fantastic yes it is it also one last note it sure. does some pacing things that mo- most adult-oriented movies don't fucking get, and it bothers me, where it's got a flashback structure. Mask of the Phantasm is set in the present, yeah. Bruce is Batman, and it flashes to the past when he's becoming Batman. And it takes the Godfather 2 approach, which is, Godfather 2, if you don't know, if you haven't seen the movie somehow, it has, it has flashbacks to uh, Vito Corleone, as played by yeah. Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. um, and the present is Michael Corleone, his son. And each section of film is very long. So you'll have maybe 40 minutes with Vito, and you'll have 50 minutes with Michael, and you'll go back for 40 minutes with Vito. It's never five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes here, five minutes there. And that's how most flashback structure movies work, and those movies are uniformly terrible because if you have, we're going back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, you can't develop anything. It's awful. I just saw a movie last year that did this. It was uh, Saving Mr. Banks, the Disney movie. And that movie, there were a lot of problems with it. I... Literally, my skin was crawling. I was so uncomfortable how they how rapidly they were flashing between the two stories. I could not take it. I almost walked out. And Mask of the Phantasm is, we're going to spend a good three, four scenes in the past, 10, yeah. 15 minutes before we come back. And then we're going to spend a couple scenes here, and then we're going to go back. It's The pacing is spot on. Yep. All right. So that's my number five. What's your number four? My number four is... The Avengers. That's also my number four. Oh, wow. Nice. Let's talk about them together. Okay. What do you like about The Avengers, Sean? It's really fun. I really enjoy <laughs> watching it, and I think it's an action-packed thrill ride. It's like <laughs> Are you like a cable like film critic, like on Fox News or something? It's an action-packed thrill ride. <laughs> it's an action-packed thrill ride that will keep you on the edge of your, se- on the edge of your seats. Critics agree it's the number one movie of the summer. Here's the thing about The Avengers, though, Sean. Yes. Is the fact that it's an action-packed thrill ride the best thing about it, or that it just has the characters so right and spending time with them is so fun? I think it's both. I think because the, the, you, you know the characters already going into it from the other movies, but Joss Whedon writes the characters in such a way that they are immediately interesting, they immediately grab you, they're all very diverse, and they're all given the right amount of attention... 
that when they have action scenes, it feels really impactful because you feel really attached to the characters, and then a lot of the character development happens in the action scenes as well. Okay. And I agree. I, I think the action also, just the level of execution on all of it, phenomenal. phenomenal. I mean, yes. we talked about this movie just a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so we don't need to go too into it, but... I mean, I love everything. And everyone's seen Avengers, so... <laughs> everyone! Everyone knows how awesome the Avengers is. We don't need to tell them about it. It's so great. I mean, everything about it is so much fun, and, and Joss Whedon just got it perfect on every level, including, I love, you know, the look of the film, the cinematography, yeah. the atmosphere. It's all just perfect, and, and all the performances are great. No one is out of whack in terms of screen time and stuff, and it's just, it's, it's a blast. It is a thrill ride from start to finish. Exactly. And, you know, I think not only is it just a great movie, but holy fucking shit, what a hard movie to make. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just from a production standpoint, just from a writing standpoint, like the juggling all of these characters, like all these main characters, because there is it's it's a truly ensemble cast, which usually does not happen in film. Like that's it's crazy. It is crazy how perfectly they are able to balance all those characters together, and that alone earns it a place on the list. But all everything else. Yeah, I mean, if it had not been a disaster, that probably alone would have been enough to get it a number 10 slot, exactly. right? But, yeah, but the fact that you have a scene where Hulk picks up Loki and smashes him into the ground multiple times before saying, puny god, that's just, that's just gold. Given that it has that scene and so much other awesomeness, yeah. were you a little surprised? Because I know I was when it shook out at number four for you. Cause... Yeah, I was like, I was going in there, it's like, Avengers might not be my number one. I don't know what my number one is going to be yet, but surely Avengers is going to be top three. And then I was sitting there, it's like, fuck, it's not top three. It's not, it's not top three. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not top three, not because Avengers is not a great movie, but because there are some other really fucking good <laughs> movies. superhero movies. That's pretty much it. Yep. And, and let's talk about them. What's your number three? My number three is Captain America. The Winter Soldier. That's also my number three. Holy shit. I want to say, we did not coordinate these at all. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we we literally just talked about Captain America, The Winter Soldier. So, we really don't need to... It was our previous episode. Yeah, so we really don't need to go really deep into it. But just, like, to compare to the other movies, I think one of the great things about The Winter Soldier, like... And honestly, you know, because all the other movies do the character shit well, too... The thing that makes Winter Soldier stand out the most to me, honestly, is the action. Like, the action is so well done. It is so impactful that it's not... It is just one of the best action movies I think I've ever seen. Just in terms of the raw action scenes. So well made that that it's spectacular in that regard. But then on top of that, it gets all the character development. It understands Captain America fundamentally as a character and uses him interesting... Uses him his, like thematically in a very interesting way... And then also, the, okay, the number one most important thing about the movie is that you have Captain America and you have Falcon and that relationship. As far as like being a comic book fan, what I get from the movie more than anything else is that they nailed that relationship and that is very precious and important to me as a human being. And so I found that incredibly fulfilling. Yes. What about you, John? I mean, I, it, it, uh, ditto to everything you said. And on top of that, just it's... It's fascinating in that it's the rare superhero sequel that has a lot of stuff in it. It's got yeah. a lot of characters. It's got multiple villains in a sense. It's, it's got, got like 
five villains. It's crazy. And they're all cool. And they're all cool, and they all are given the exact right amount of screen time. It's got Cap. It's got Black Widow. It's got Falcon. It's got all these other heroes. Nick Fury. Uh, Nick Fury, Maria Hill. And they're all more interesting than they've ever been before. Yep. I mean, just everything about it is so well done. It's got such a good, clear, emotional arc. It shakes up the Marvel Universe in ways that I don't think we were ever expecting to see yeah. in a standalone film. Um, it's just really great, and I think even though it just came out and we just talked about it, there was no doubt for me that it had to be in, in the yeah. at, least, at least in the top five. And when it shook out at number three, I was like, you know, that feels right because mm-hmm. this was, as I said at the time, Avengers is the kind of perfection of the Marvel formula, and Captain America is an evolution. Yeah, and and I like, really really loved it. Yeah. All right, so four and three sunk up for us. I two cannot. So what's your two number literally two? cannot two? My number two is Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. You already you put this at what if was it five for you? Yeah, it's madness. So yeah, mine is number two: Batman: Mask of the Phantasm. Like you know, I've already talked about with Batman Beyond and other movies, like how much I loved that Batman animated series when I was a kid. And so, Batman: Mask of the Phantasm is the best thing to come out of that. It is the oh fuck, I don't know if I should say this because there's Killing Joke is a great, great fucking comic book. Batman Mask of the Phantasm might be my favorite Batman thing of anything. Okay. Ever. You feel stronger about this than me. So, so yeah. So that's huge. Like, I love this movie because it is the epitome of what that animated series is and what it could achieve. But then, like, on top of that, you know, Mask of the Phantasm it is, like you talked about this, is a very, very unique Batman story. Because most Batman stories, while they're good, they've kind of been told like over and over and over and over again and the Batman origin has been told a thousand fucking times they keep on going over in the comics and it drives me mad but Batman Mask of the Phantasm because the animated series never did the origin story for Batman Batman Mask of the Phantasm does it the best way I've ever seen it done and that like you know what the origin is you, it doesn't need to go over the parents getting shot it doesn't need to go over Bruce training because that's what everything else focuses on. Instead, it focuses on this relationship that they created, like the character, the female character was created for this movie. So Andrea, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it in like two years. Okay, so but yeah, she was created for the movie as his love interest. And again, it's the only Batman love interest that has ever really worked. Like Catwoman, some kind, kind of, but you know that like the Catwoman thing is so weird and different. So you're, you're not counting Marion Cotillard in Dark Knight Rises? Oh, God, no. Oh, God, like, what a fucking... Christopher Nolan is a fantastic director. I don't think he can do romance stuff very well. But that's neither here nor there. So what, what I think what is critically interesting about what Batman Mask of the Phantasm does to tell a Batman origin story is that it focuses on this point in time in his life where it is the time when he needs to decide where he is at this crossroads. Because if you're going to be Batman... God damn it, you have to be Batman. Like, you go full hog, you are going into it, motherfucker. You cannot be Batman and still have this other relationship. Like, you can't split yourself that way. Like, that just doesn't work. Like, Bruce is just not capable of that. Batman is too consuming. And so he's at this point in his life where it's like, he could be happy. He could... There is this possibility, and to show that... It is the most tragic Batman story I've ever seen because that it's so much more painful that it does not work out for him, that he can't get this happy life. That's so impactful and so powerful. And it shows it is it shows you how Bruce becomes Batman in a way that I've never seen anything else do that. It so immediately demonstrates how 
how he becomes this loner type guy who, who has no personal connections. The only people he kind of cares about is his butler, the kid he's kind of indoctrinated into becoming Robin. And if you're to read All-Star Batman and Robin the Kid, he's just straight up kidnapped and like tortured more or less to turn into Batman Robin. did not do that. Yeah, that was crazy Frank Steve. Miller did that. Yeah, it's crazy Steve dressed up as Batman. But yeah, like the... They show how Batman becomes Batman in a way I've never seen anything else do. And it just proves that the creative forces, Paul Dini and everyone else, behind Batman the Animated Series, understand Batman fundamentally as a character far beyond the vast majority of people who have tackled that character. And then fucking Mark Hamill as the Joker is so fucking great. Is so fucking great. And the end, the the climax of this movie, holy fucking shit. Holy fucking shit. I, I don't know how they got away with it. It's I, fucking crazy. I do not know how they got this past Warner Brothers yeah. in the theaters as an ostensible kids movie. I don't <laughs> know how it got a PG because there's not blood, but... I, the, there's I, psychological trauma. There's psychological trauma, and again, the implications of this movie and everything you just said yeah. about Bruce's happiness, that is just darker than any other version of Batman. It's, yeah, exactly, because there's no... There's no hope, really, in Christopher Nolan's Batman universe. Like, there's no... There's no, like... Because, I mean, I guess he is... What the fuck is he... Rachel. Name? Rachel, like, who the fuck is that? Yeah, there's her... Yeah, kind of... No, fuck that. Like, in this movie, like, you buy the relationship that young Bruce has with Andrea. Like, you, you buy this relationship, and that's, it's, it's fucking tragic in the best way. And, goddammit, dude, this movie is so good. Yeah, you leave that movie just beaten yeah. and scarred. It's great. I, yeah, I agree with everything on that. Yeah, so that's my number two. What's your number All right, two? my number two is The Dark Knight. And again, it's just... I don't know how to rank this. I think it's interesting that our I number two... Both of our number twos are Batman movies. Yes. We're different Batman movies. I know. Um, it's just weird. I don't know how to rank it because, again, either it was number two for me because I do think it is just empirically the second best movie as a movie on this list. I do legitimately think under any circumstances number one is better. We'll talk about that. True. Um, but I love The Dark Knight. I think it's a great movie. Every time I watch it, I'm blown away by it. I remember seeing it for the first time in IMAX and leaving that movie just floored like something hugely personal and significant had happened to me because it's it's different than any other movie. It's different than even Christopher Nolan's other Batman movies. There's the way it's paced, where it's got this very relentless moment to moment to moment. It's got these big montages. It's actually very lyrically paced. Like, it's got almost... You know, verses and choruses, and the way it builds and, and goes back down—it's it's fascinating to me. And the way Heath Ledger enters and exits the movie like the mm-hmm. shark in Jaws, just to come sure, in and, yeah. and create chaos, and then come back out and be gone for thirty minutes—and that's a great performance. And I, all the performances are great. And Christian Bale's Batman voice is a little hammy, but I also think you've got to give him credit for—he is out of the Batman suit for all of like ten minutes in this movie. It's—it's it's, he is—he yeah. is Batman for the majority of the film, and I think. Even if you don't like the voice, I think the way he carries himself and the way he holds those scenes together, that is uh, a trait that is important for the sure, yeah. for the fact that this movie works. Um, I think thematically, I mean, you could go into so many discussions on everything the movie gets into thematically and the way it interprets the Batman character and, it's, and the Batman mythos, and it's fascinating. And I think it's got less to say about Batman than about contemporary society, but it's implications about contemporary society and the way it sort of works the Joker into this story about... Um, you know, uh, 
in this almost, you know, you've got Bush-era parables and all this other stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the most fascinating thing for me is that it's, you know, this is a great version of the Joker. You could drop him into other character, uh, into other Joker stories yeah. and whatnot in the comics. But there's also a slight fundamental shift. And I actually think Mask of the Phantasm is a great point of comparison. Sure. Because, you know, Mark Hamill Joker, who is the Joker to me, yeah. that is the Joker, he lives just... For the amusement of everything. He's like yeah. this weird existentialist where it's like yeah. every but but it's this black existentialist and it's it's dark and violent. And the thing about Heath Ledger's Joker that's fascinating to me is that that's his facade, but he so clearly has a purpose. Yeah. He is trying to prove something and his point this the thing that's haunting about the movie is that he kinda of proves it. And that he wins if it weren't for what Batman does at the end in kind of taking the blame. And that's kind of the way the movie ties together in a really interesting way to me. Um, so I think there's just... And, and that's just a really surface level analysis of kind of why that works. But again, I think from a style standpoint, the way the movie is paced, the way it builds and comes back down, it's, it's just it just grabs you and you're, you're in it from start to finish and it does not let go. And I think the cinematography is so gorgeous. I mean... Um, especially those IMAX sequences. I've never seen anything quite like that. The Dark Knight Rises probably qualifies because it's the same cinematographer, also (laughs) IMAX sequences, but there was something about the impact of seeing them for the first time in The Dark Knight. There just has never been cinematography like that in movies, ever, anywhere. And the fact that it did not win the Oscar for cinematography that year is so ludicrous I can't even believe that. Do you remember what did? God, 2008, I think The Hurt Locker? No, that was the next year. Um, what, what it, it was Slumdog Millionaire, which yeah. I actually don't like the cinematography of a lot. Yeah. And the cinematography yeah. of Slumdog Millionaire is completely 100% stylistically ripped off from a movie called City of God. Mm. So, yeah, that was bullshit. Um, I mean, Dark Knight didn't even get a nomination for Best Picture that year, or Best Director, and it's ludicrous, and they changed yeah. a lot of rules around it, because... Dark Knight was the you know, just empirically the best film that year. Agreed. Yeah. Whether you want to go on Agreed, the if you like your indie movies or anything else, yeah. it's it's a masterpiece, and and so that's why it's on this list here. Again, I don't quite know how to compare it to these other things because I don't have any compunctions in saying Batman: Mask of the Phantasm is a better Batman movie. I just think Dark Knight is one of the great movies of modern times, and it qualifies for this list. So it has to go on number two because there's one movie that casts a shadow over everything else for me. So sure, okay. All right, anything else to say on this? No, I, right. I mean I already said my piece on the Dark Knight. I'm just puzzling. Is our number one the same? Yeah, it's the same. I did what not, else would this I be? I did not expect. Like when I was making my list, I was I was like, there are two movies that might be Jonathan's number one. It's either Dark Knight or it's Captain America: The Winter Soldier. I did not no. think you might not know me then because there was no other consideration. There's no other. There's no I other possible no. world where this is not my number one. I had no idea. I, I don't know. Have I ever talked to you about how important this movie is to me? I might not have. Maybe not. Okay, maybe then not. maybe we should stop keeping the listeners okay. in the dark. Yeah. Sean, what's our number one? It's the number one. It's the greatest superhero movie of all time. It's arguably one of the greatest films of all time. It's certainly one of my favorite. It is Spider-Man Two. Yes. Fucking Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. And I'm going to let I'm going to say a brief thing about it Spider-Man and then let you two. talk about it. I'm probably too close to this movie to talk about it coherently. This is the first movie I watched and reviewed as a film critic. Oh, this was the first sure. press screening I ever I went to. After, I didn't know that. But more importantly, this just came at a point in my life where I was at this crossroads of, you know, I was working with the Colorado kids at the time. I'd written some movie stuff. I was thinking, yeah, I would, I might have fun doing this movie critic thing, but I hadn't, like, really signed on for it. I wasn't sure about that. And Spider-Man 2 just, I think, was one of those movies that awoke my cinematic sensibilities in a way that a few other movies have. Definitely Lord of the Rings. 
um, in terms of theatrical films I saw in that period and before. But I, I think Spider-Man 2 solidified things for me. And after that night, I wanted to watch and write about movies. And it all traces back to that movie for me in that moment. And and ever since then, I mean, it's, it's important to me more than just that it was this moment in my life that was important. I just love the movie and what it does and its themes and everything about it so much. I've watched it so many times over the years. It never dilutes for me. Um, it is one of my favorite movies, and it is definitely in the top three or four of movies that in terms of importance to me as changing my life and making me into someone who is going to watch and write about and discuss movies my whole life, this is one of those movies that solidified that for me. And that it is a superhero movie is almost tertiary. Yeah, sure. And and I'll talk about why I love it for the purposes of this list for that, but no, I think Spider-Man 2 is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, and I love it, and it's perfect, and... There's no other number one. I, I put that. I started this list and I wrote Spider-Man 2. Now I have to figure out everything else. Because what the fuck else would you put at number one? Spider-Man 2 is the superhero movie. It's perfect. It's amazing. I agree. I don't think most people would agree with us, John. And I don't think most people would put Spider-Man 2 at... They're fucking movie. wrong. It's like... I it's say, like, <laughs> dude, don't, you don't need to fucking tell me that. I put it at number one, too. I'm right. just saying that most people wouldn't do that. You might be able to talk more coherently about it than me. So All you right, talk yeah. about it. So, I've got a ten full of adjectives. I would call this movie amazing. Spectacular. Also, don't take it now. Just call it spectacular. <laughs> and just to borrow some other ones, like I'd maybe even call it fantastic, incredible, invincible, irre- irredeemable, astonishing, uncanny. Well, my, not really, there's not a lot of uncanny in it, but sure, we'll just use uncanny. I don't even think Stan Lee knew what the word uncanny meant when he called the X-Men uncanny, but... Would you call it the ultimate Spider-Man movie? Sure, yeah, I would call it... I mean, I wouldn't say it like that because that makes it just sound like a movie based off of the ultimate Spider-Man series. Okay. But it is the ultimate Spider-Man movie in that it is the best Spider-Man movie made. And and I, even though a new one is coming out tomorrow, I feel pretty fucking confident in saying that. So, for me... I mean, okay, Spider-Man 2, for me, as far as putting it on this list, already just has a massive unfair advantage in that Spider-Man is so massively important to me as a character in my life, not from movies, but from the comic books. Because I, so my, because my dad read, like, all these Marvel comics when they were coming out when he was a kid, and so I kind of inherited that from him, and so when I was in elementary school, I bought a I mean, I got for Christmas through several years a bunch of these huge paperback collections of old, old fucking Silver Age comics, like the original Spider-Man comics. I have a couple of Fantastic Four ones, some Hulk ones. I think I have a Captain America one. I definitely have an Avengers one. But so I've read several hundred issues worth of Spider-Man comics, like not just Amazing Spider-Man, but like all the crazy nonsense spinoffs that they have done. And so Spider-Man is obviously massively important to me. I remember when I was in sixth grade and got to the point where Gwen Stacy dies and read that storyline, just being hugely affected by that. Because that was, like, it's, it's one thing to know, okay, yeah, Gwen Stacy dies. It is another thing for that character to have been, like, the major love interest for Spider-Man. There was, like, Mary Jane was in the series, but she was not... He, he was not his girl, you know. It was Gwen, and she was there for like a hundred fucking issues. Like, she was a main goddamn character who gets fucking killed. And she does not just get killed, she gets thrown off a bridge. Do you know how she dies? 
Spider-Man jumps after her, webs her feet, and the, the implication of the comic book is, on the panels, how she dies is that when he webs her feet, her, she stops moving so quickly that the momentum travels up her body and snaps her neck. So Spider-Man saving her is what kills her. Spider-Man does not know that, but you as the reader know that. That, like, that moment affected me so much, and it's revealed so much about the power of comic books and the power of storytelling to me that is so powerful in my life. So when I sit down and I think about superheroes, Spider-Man is, he's the guy. Spider-Man is like, you know, Superman is the original superhero and he is the archetype, but Spider-Man is the guy that you relate to. He is the guy that if you're trying to take moral lessons from comic books and from these characters, which is kind of partially what they're intended to be, Spider-Man is the guy you want to go to because goddamn it it's it's a simple thing and it gets repeated a lot but with great power comes great responsibility is a legitimately profound thing to say and 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 a profound moral concept that I don't think a lot of people take seriously enough. No, and I it's interesting. I had um the last session of this ethics class I've been in today and we were talking about deontological versus teleological thinkers yeah. and we were trying to split the people we talked about in these groups, which I think is fairly silly, but we said finally he said, you know, any other deontological people we can think of? And I'm like, Spider-Man. And everyone laughed. I'm like, I'm being dead serious because deontological is the idea that you have a code and you live yeah. by it and every action is determined by that. That's with great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. Is yeah. that, and he is so beholden to that that a lot of his life is shit because he cannot break that for he any can't, choice. Yeah, he, he has to live by that code because he knows that is the best way to live. Like, there's just no, like, even though, you know, his personal life goes to shit because with, you know, great responsibility comes a lot of pain personally for you. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can just throw it away. That doesn't mean that you can just, you know, go off and be and live with your aunt and live with Mary Jane because Aunt May just is eternal. She is she's still fucking alive. And and you know, it's it's so applicable to all parts of life. You say that with great power comes great responsibility. For Spider Man that means I can do something literally no one else can do. Yeah. If I don't do it, I am making an ethically wrong choice. Yeah. And I don't like talking about ethics in this theoretical framework a lot, but I think that's so true on so many levels. Yeah. And I think the Spider-Man character and these movies portray it so so well, but can't you take that to heart in all parts of your life? If you have something you're good at, if you have a talent, if there's something that drives you, that can be really tough to live with sometimes. That can embolden you and it can also belittle you. But it's something you kind of, you everyone reconciles at a certain point if they have a gift they're really chasing. Yeah. And and Spider-Man 2, I think is where you're going with it, is the, the ultimate exploration of that. Yeah, yeah. That, it, as far as a movie goes, like Spider-Man 2 is the best movie. Spider-Man, there's the best Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man is the best superhero. Therefore, by pure science, I have just proven... The Spider-Man 2 is the best superhero movie. Like, there is no argument against it, right? Like, that's just math. I it's like I'm a logic saying. problem on the SAT. Yeah, it's like, you have number one, Spider-Man is the best superhero. Two, Spider-Man 2 is the best superhero movie. Or is what is the best Spider-Man movie. Spider-Man movie, yes. Therefore, Which... Spider-Man 2 must be the best superhero movie. Like, it's just, it's pure mathematic logic. Peter Parker would approve. Yeah, exactly. He's because he's a science nerd. Yeah. But yeah, so, so that's just my, like... I just love Spider-Man so much as a character, man. And so... And I, I want to say really quick, you know, yeah. I didn't come to Spider-Man 2 with that weight necessarily because my introduction to Spider-Man was... 
I mean, I suspect I watched some cartoons when I was a kid, but I don't yeah, remember them much. Some like the old nineties, yeah, which aren't very good. Yeah. But you know, I will say, Spider-Man One was a big movie for me as a kid. Yeah, I was only nine when that came out, but I saw it. I made my parents take me to it like three times. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I saw it over and over again, and when it came out on DVD, and it just that character just. I think he hit me in the same way, you know, you keep getting the comics. It's just yeah. that if that character's done right, there's something that just hits you because he's so human and so universal. Exactly. And that's just the thing is he is so human. It's sort of the thing that, like, Marvel heroes in particular as opposed to DC heroes really strive for is to make them relatable and have them deal with issues that you can understand and sympathize with. And there's no hero that epitomizes that more than Spider-Man, who Spider-Man's biggest issues are that his aunt's in the hospital or that... You know, his girlfriend's really pissed at him because he missed their date. You know, the reason he missed their date is because he's not being Spider-Man, but he can't tell anybody about it. You know, it's... Or, you know, he can't fucking pay the rent! Or that, like, to pay the rent, he has to sell pictures to a dude who is, you know, just selling fucking libel in the newspapers about him as Spider-Man, making his life a living fucking hell. J. Jonah Jameson in the comics is one of the best supporting cast members of any superhero franchise and in the fucking Spider-Man 2 there is no better casting there's no better adaptation in like cinematic version of any comic book character ever brought in this to novels like I don't care you Robert Downey Jr. I don't give a fuck J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson is so perfect is so fucking perfect in that role is unbelievable. Is like he literally just stepped out of the goddamn comic book and started yelling at people. I so I know it's like he it's like this weird like magician's ritual. Like we're gonna take the comic and just bring the person yeah. to life. And uh, you know Mark Webb has even talked about it in interviews of uh, why do they not have J Jonah Jameson in Amazing Spider Man one or two? It's that they know they cannot replace. They J. just Simmons. yeah. Like if they want to do Daily Bugle, they just they have to get him back. It's kind of weird. Fuck it. Yeah. Like, Make it a goddamn plot point for all I care. Just make that Jake Jody Jameson just stepped across the goddamn multiverse. It's probably happened before. Hey, his son's an astronaut. Exactly. Maybe he goes to space with him. Something <laughs> happens. You know, all the little black hole. It's a comic book movie. Exactly. Oh man, you know. Okay, we're talking around it though. Yeah, what, we haven't even really talked about the fucking movie yet. What is it that Spider-Man Two does so well? I think you were starting to touch on it with if the central thing about Spider-Man and what makes him so relatable and so profound is that with great power comes great responsibility, um, you know, motto and that core philosophy, Spider-Man 2 is about that in such a profound and meaningful way and I think every level of it is about that. So you have, it's the Spider-Man No More arc. Yeah, It is a comic arc, but they've tied into it everything. They've they've tied in Doc Ock and Mary Jane and, and... Aunt May, who I always think actually knows Peter Spider-Man in this movie. There's just something there's about a, it. Yeah, no, I kind of agree that there's like... I always feel like... I mean, she didn't because when she did find out that Peter was Spider-Man, she was immensely surprised. But there's always kind of been that like... Aunt May maybe probably kind of knows. Yeah. But anyway, it's... And all levels of it are about that. And at the center you have Peter. And Tobey Maguire is giving, I think, a phenomenal performance. Yeah. And if I want to just go on pure power of the performance and and just technical merit of it I don't think there's anything on this list that touches that his work in Spider-Man 2 is phenomenal and I think because he's having to be a normal person with this issue that is both at once vast and big and superheroic and also so small and personal which is that 
I have this duty and this duty stops me from being with the woman I love. It stops me from being there for my aunt, whom I owe so much. Yeah. It stops me from doing well at my job, which I value because I'm a photographer and I'm proud of this. Yeah. It stops me from being there for people when I need them to be there for people. And who do I need to be? Do I need to be myself, Peter Parker, for the people in my life? Or do I need to be Spider-Man for this city that doesn't necessarily treat me well in return? Yeah. And then you have Doc Ock on there and there are more entertaining movie superhero villains but there are none that are so thematically tightly woven into the fabric of the story as Alfred Molina's Doc Ock yeah and like Doc Ock has always been one of my favorite villains like even just like ignoring like he has such a great tie to Peter because he's a scientist and that's always like been so interesting because it's kind of this like dark like what if you like what if Peter turned bad kind of thing with with the Doc Ock character but the tentacles are so cool. Like, it's such a... It's it's one of the weird things about, like, Mar- a lot of Marvel stuff in general, and especially Spider-Man epitomizes this, is that, like, they are not generic. You know, DC... Oh, Flash, he can run really fast. Superman can fly. Batman has gadgets. Wonder Woman can fly and punch really hard. Like, they're super generic superpowers. Spider-Man has spider powers! Like, he crawls on walls and shoots webs and swings from them and has spider sense. Like, that's fucking crazy. Like, nobody would come up with that. If Spider-Man were not a character we was iconic yeah, and we all knew from birth. You would never think yeah. of it. Like, if you really... Because everyone's known about Spider-Man since they were born, so they don't think it's crazy. But think about being in, like, Stan Lee's shoes, like, trying to come up with characters. How do you do that? How do you come up with Spider-Man? And then it's, like, Dr. Octopus? Like, a dude... With four mechanical arms. Like, that's not something that's normal. That's not like a... You're sitting there and it's like... Now, what superpower would I like to have? Like, it'd be really cool to be invisible. Or if I could read people's minds. Or, like, have telekinesis. Like, everyone would come up with that. It takes a fucking madman to sit there and be like... I think I'd like to crawl on walls. Or, yeah, I could use some mechanical arms. That seems pretty nifty. Well, hey, Stan Lee is a genius. And yeah. people who don't understand that, yeah. they'll fuck themselves. But yeah, so Doc Ock has always been a great character, but yeah, Alfred Molina's version is so well done, and the way they use him in the movie is so powerful, because they do, again, they, because they didn't necessarily do this at the comics, like the original comics, because those are old, so they wouldn't necessarily have tried to do something like this, but the way they have, like, Alfred Molina's, you know, trying to, he's made the nuclear fusion reactor, and he's, like, he is the fucking science-ass scientist. And that's how Peter meets him first. Peter, like, comes to know him and respect him and, like, knew him and respected him before he ever met him face-to-face. And then actually gets to meet him and gets to work with him a little bit. And so you get introduced to the character before he becomes a supervillain. And so he becomes so tragic in a way that the Doc Ock character never really was before this. And they add this whole other element to it that is so powerful in the film. And, and Alfred Molina's performance is so good. And it adds... It's just everything is compounding Peter's dilemma because now... Doc Ock is this man he loves and respects, who he has to stop, and yet he also has to feel bad for him, because, Mm -hmm. and this is one of the great moral lines that this movie walks, is that you can both enjoy Alfred Molina as a villain, and want Spider-Man to punch him, because he's doing some pretty evil things, but at the same time you're like, I get where you're coming from, Doc Ock, and Peter gets where... Because because in the movie, again, like going to the Doc Ock kind of being this weird, like, what if Peter went bad kind of thing... Like, Doc Ock goes through kind of exactly what Peter does in that, like, ignoring the mechanical arms thing, but, you know, Doc Ock sees his wife get killed in the experiment, and it's like, that's part of what makes him go fucking crazy. And, you know, Peter saw his uncle die, who he loved 
as much as anyone in the world. And for both of them, it was their fault. Yeah, exactly. So they they both have to like kind of struggle with this. So I think Peter, there's this like really strong identification. And again, this that's not an element that's in the comics. It's something that the movie brings. It's really innovative to the the character. No, absolutely. Um, and you know, one thing I think there's a lot of ways I think Spider-Man Two is undervalued. And I always you you brought it up at the beginning of this segment, and I always forget it because Spider-Man Two is so resolutely to me the best superhero movie has been since 2004. When other people disagree, it weirds me out, and I realize that a lot of people have a lot of their problems with it are things I love. So, for instance, people have always, for reasons I will never understand, make fun of Kirsten Dunst in these movies. Huh. And there's a lot of people who don't like her as an actress, which I also don't really get. I think she's a really talented actress. She's amazing in Spider-Man 2. And yeah, I, don't, I agree. I did not fully get this until I watched the movie as an adult. But there's a certain weight to what that character is, has in this movie. And it's the opposite of Spider-Man 1, where I think she's underwritten mm-hmm. and a little underdeveloped. Here it's... She's a human... She's a fully fleshed out human being. She's got a career. She's smart. She's talented. She's got this man. She legitimately loves it. J. Jonah Jameson's son yeah, is not this John throwaway... Jameson. She's not just going with John Jameson because he's he's hot. It's that they have a connection. You see yeah. it in a couple of scenes. It's stable. It's something she didn't have as a child. We, we know about her family yeah. history. But she does love Peter, and she doesn't understand why this man who is so good and was so good to her would now not be there for her. Mm-hmm. And it's it's... And I think it's a really complex line because it's this, she keeps wanting to give this guy a second chance, and she can't. And I think why a lot of people reject her in this movie is what they want to say, well, you're just being mean to Peter because look at what Peter's going through. She it's doesn't kind of know like that. The, uh, oh, God, what's her name? The wife from Breaking Bad? Yes. Like, how people hate her? It's yeah. like, Fuck what, you. Are you what are you talking about? Like, do you have no understanding of how stories work? Of course she has to be like this. Like, if she wasn't, what would the show even be? Like, why do you hate her? It's like her character maybe kind of annoys you. I understand that, but like, yeah, she hasn't done. Understand what's going on, like thematically here, man. You're mad at her for being the good person, exactly. And it's 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 similar with Mary Jane, where I think people can't disconnect that. Where she doesn't know he's Spider Man. All she knows is that he's Peter Parker to her is becoming a jerk, and that's why the movie hurts. Exactly. That's why it works is because you see on Kirsten Dunst's face how much he is hurting her, and how much she cannot understand this, and how his erratic behavior is impacting her. And that's Peter's journey is that he has to see that on the faces of the people he loves. And how can he be Spider-Man and save people and then go home to the people he really cares about and see them hate him? Yeah. Maybe not hate him, but give up on him and think, I can't have you in my life. And you kind of have that with Harry. It's not as effectively done in Spider-Man 2. That's the weakest part of the movie. But it's there too. It's on every level of, you know, Aunt May never gives up on him. But there's a lot of these layers to it of, you know. Because this movie understands something that Dark Knight Rises does not. Is that every superhero has their goddamn rock? Yeah. Aunt May is Peter's rock. Oh yeah, and there's some great scenes with her. Rosemary Harris yeah. is the actress, yeah. and <laughs> just great scenes with her all around. But yeah, um, and the action is really—it's not you know, the action in Spider-Man Two is not Avengers level. It's not Captain yeah. America: The Winter Soldier level. But you know what? It's got the train sequence. And yeah. if you want to tell me that's not one of the best action sequences on, on anything on this list, you're wrong. That's yeah, a great I agree. Sequence. Like, I, I, again, like, the action is not as flashy, partially just because they didn't have the effects to go, like, really crazy with it at the time. Yeah. But I think the action is really well done, and it's really compelling. And, and it has something that a lot of superhero movies lack. It's something that Thor 2 has in spades, is that they're very creative with the action scenes. Like, especially because, I mean, you have a huge opportunity to do it because you have a dude with spider powers fighting yeah. a dude with four mechanical arms. Like, 
that fight's just awesome. Like, oh, yeah. no matter what you do, as long as you stick to that, it's awesome. But they, they really understand how to do that and use the, their, their different powers really uh, effectively. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just the opening sequence with Spider-Man going through Manhattan delivering pizzas, that's such a creative way to use the character. Yeah. And I think it all comes back to, you know, Sam Raimi, what an unconventional choice to do Spider-Man to do a superhero movie, yeah. but you put him in these movies, and it just—it's so perfect. His tone yeah, is right; works. He just gets it, and I think he brings so much of his genre experience into Spider-Man Two. His horror training with Evil Dead and stuff. Oh god, yeah, because there's the whole scene after like Doc Ock has the arms fused to him, where he kills everyone in the operating room. Fantastic. That scene is fucking terrifying. Like still to this day, that scene is terrifying. Terrifying and amazing, and just so well done, and and just the little touches of humor that grace it. I mean, I still think no. Superhero movie on this list quite balances drama and humor and everything else as well as Spider-Man 2 Where we can go legitimately from J.D. Jonah Jameson just shouting at Peter To Peter being really, you know, broken inside over everything that's happened to him And it feels so of a piece that you don't even notice the tonal shift Mm -hmm. It's just, it is, it's organic, it's what the movie is Yeah You know, I I mean, I I was trying to kind of just write up some notes on, you know, what I love about this movie And and what it comes back to every time is it's it's the perfect distillation of everything I love about superhero movies overall It has every piece of the genre that I value and adore It's somewhere in this movie And it's just this ultimate mixture of you've got these genuine comic book fun and thrills And yet it also has this deep, meaningful, profound character exploration Uh, And the overall package has this weight and this impact that it, it resonates, it lingers it stays with you. It stayed with me for ten years now. This is its tenth anniversary, yeah. and it hasn't diluted. It really is a masterpiece on that level to me. It's it's so good, and it's just such a watershed moment for the genre that I don't even know if another superhero movie can surpass it for me ever. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible. It's like a lot of old people and Citizen Kane, where they just <laughs> refuse to recognize movies have been made since Citizen Kane. That's probably me with Spider Man too, because this is all of it right there. Every part of Spider-Man 2, every individual part, you can probably find another superhero movie that does that thing better, but you can't find a superhero movie that does them all in the same place this yeah. well. And and that's just that's why it's there for me. And again, it's got this personal connection for me and I love it. And there's just no question for me that it is number 1. Um I mean, I look at the DVD cover, which is that one of my favorite movie posters ever, which is Spidey and Mary Jane together swinging, and Doc Ock is in the reflection of his visor. Yeah, his visor yeah. And uh, I just, I look at that poster, and I just feel this warm nostalgia inside. I hear the Danny Elfman music. I hear the the Dashboard Confessional song at the end, which I recognize is probably not a great song because it's Dashboard Confessional. Yeah. I still listen to that music a lot, uh, that song a lot, because it's a Spider-Man Two song, and I love it. So you know, this movie's important to me. Yeah, it is just one of those like. Because we said earlier that the, it adapts I mean loosely adapts All of these stories adapt Comic book storylines But it's like Loosely Yeah Put adapt in quotes But this one actually is, It's relatively faith, more faithful Especially it's really thematically faithful To the Spider-Man No More storyline Where Peter decides to stop being Spider-Man And that's like one of the most important things for the character And one of like the most interesting things Is that more than any other superhero He struggles with that line with his secret identity. He he goes so far. He swings all the time. Swings. He swings between being like Spider Man as Spider Man, like like Spider Man all the time, and then just like there's multiple times where he's just said, "You know what? Fuck it. Like I can't do this. I just can't do it anymore because it's destroying my life. Like it's hurting the people I care about. I cannot be Spider Man anymore. It is not." Possible. I can't go on doing this. He's done that multiple times. 
and but the first time is always the best and and this this is such a fantastic adaptation of the story and it the way it weaves Doc Ock and sort of makes a new version of Doc Ock in with it is so phenomenal that it just hits at the core of the character of that goddamn you have to be Spider-Man like you have to find the balance but you can't just be Spider-Man and you can't just be Peter Parker you can't just have a carefree life and not give a shit about anything but you also can't be so caught up on your responsibilities that you lose sight of what is most important to you and there's no the thing about the movie is there's no answer to it it's not just like oh this is just what you have to do to solve the the this dilemma of your how you handle your responsibilities in your life it's fucking tough goddammit. like it is it is a human thing and that's one of the things about Spider-Man is he's a human character it's not Superman I like Superman has his place and I appreciate it but Spider-Man has legitimate lessons that he carries of that it is never easy it is never easy to reconcile that your life is never going to be simple it's you can't just walk through it without thinking about this stuff you have to address it you have to consider the impact you have on the world the responsibilities you have just by the fact that you fucking exist you have to consider it and you have to find a way to live with it somehow god damn it and that's what this movie that's what this movie dissects and it's what like i said it doesn't give you an answer but it makes you think about that and that's more important than like what any of these other movies do in a lot of ways and i think what solidifies all of what you just said and and what this movie is as a legitimate masterpiece i think is those last couple scenes where peter mary jane finds out peter still is adamant i'm sorry i can't be with you at least you understand now and she finally comes to him she she abandons her wedding comes to him and and just says you basically you have to let someone else do something for you yeah why can't I be here for you? And he accepts it. And then I think what what separates this from every other superhero movie is that moment where they've they've accepted it, they've come together, and then the sirens blare and he, and has, he has to, to leave. And she Spider-Man. lets him, but the last shot isn't Spider-Man. It's her, and it's melancholy, and it's yeah. thoughtful, and as you said, there's no answers, and it leaves you on this very thoughtful note. Yeah. And, you know... One of the reasons I have never been as mad at Spider-Man 3 as a lot of people are is that I can just accept it's a two-movie cycle because that's sure. it. What more is there to tell? Yeah. That's the perfect closing note. It's one of the best Spider-Man stories. Yeah. Not everything needs to be a trilogy. There you go. That's yeah. it. That's what Spider-Man is. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of... I feel a little bit lightweight with the Dark Knight movies where I like the Dark Knight Rises sure. a lot, but the Dark Knight doesn't yeah, need there's more. Not, you don't really need another movie. You know? No. All right. So that's Spider-Man 2... I we love yes, yeah. and maybe we'll talk about it again in some other ways uh, oh, right, next yeah. month because it is the tenth anniversary coming up. So and there's another movie coming up tomorrow that I, has Spider-Man two in the title. I I tweeted this the other day. It's like it's so it's unfair to Mark Webb's movie to consider it in the same like just, like speech realm as as the Raimi movies, right? Yeah. It's like you just can't do that. Like the fact that they they have the, the term Spider-Man two is in this new title is unfair to that movie. Because I don't, I would never have expected it to be as good. But you just, you're gonna have to go in expecting, like you have yeah. to separate them. It's not gonna be Spider-Man Two. Maybe it'll be a good, different Spider-Man Two. Yeah. But yeah, that's what we'll be talking about next week. Shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see the movie. Okay. Well, I've got a lot of stuff going on. Okay. This is finals and nonsense next week for us. So. Yes, I'm gonna go see it tomorrow, hoping it's good. Um, if it's not, I'll just come home and watch real Spider-Man Two and feel happy. 
But man, the week after that uh, might be a little quieter. But I know the week after that we're going to have to talk about Godzilla. Then it's X-Men Days of Future Past. Then it's Wash Dogs. And at the same week is Mario Kart 8 if I get that and talk about it. So May is busy. Yeah. Jonathan? Yes. You need to watch some Godzilla movies. I do. I don't know if I'll have time for that, but we'll see. You have to watch a few. We may. I, I want to do a Godzilla episode. We might have to do it after the Godzilla movie okay. comes out, like in you June. June will be quieter, but we have to. I've, okay. been, I've been holding it inside so long. We'll, we have never had a God. We have not had one Godzilla episode on this fucking. Podcast. We will talk. We've been doing this forever. We will plan this off the air. I need. I Godzilla promise episode. we will do a Godzilla episode for okay. you. We'll play the music at the beginning. Thank we'll you. play the roar. It'll be awesome. Okay. All right. Can we play a lot? Of, cause there's a lot of really good Godzilla music. Can we just like put it in sure. throughout the whole podcast? We can do it. We, Sean, we can do whatever you want, buddy. Thank you. You've earned this. All right. Go watch Spider-Man 2. Fuck yeah.